Hello, Coma Nation. GM Hurley here. On January the 7th, 2020, as we were mixing and editing this episode, the day after we recorded, we were saddened to confirm that many incredibly talented designers at Fantasy Flight Games, including the entire RPG team, had been released from their contracts. For over seven years, the D20 Radio community has been a hub for major FFG RPG products, including the Genesis role-playing game. Now, through those connections, we've become very close to these fine designers, and each of them have become our friends, and we love them dearly. Their passion, dedication, and talent created numerous games, particularly the Genesis, Legend of the Five Rings, and Star Wars role-playing games that have literally changed our lives. Our thoughts go out to our good friends working through this situation, and while they'll no doubt land on their feet in time, the circumstances upon which this all transpired was obviously devastating to them, their families, and the freelance community as a whole. We here at The Forge are all proud of the work the FFG RPG team have done over the years, and would like to publicly thank them for their efforts in helping create the games we, and we know you, love so much. To Sam Gregor Stewart, Tim Huckleberry, Tim Cox, and Alexis Dykema, we are forever grateful to you, and to you we say thank you. Now while we have no idea how this news affects the various game lines, particularly the Genesis role-playing game, the question will no doubt raise itself as to what may happen to The Forge, given that we are a Genesis RPG podcast. The answer is simply absolutely nothing. As far as we're concerned, it's business as usual. GM Chris and myself will continue to bring you episodes every two weeks, including interviews with the creators of works released on the Genesis Foundry, news about the Foundry releases, design tips and tricks about the game itself, and all the many shenanigans we regularly get up to in our discussions about the Genesis role-playing game. While our thoughts are with those affected by these tragic events that I've mentioned earlier, we do know that many of you will be continuing to support those within the community who continue to produce content for the Foundry and for the Genesis role-playing game. This also includes our sister podcast on the D20 Radio Network, Don't Despair, as well as many other podcasts outside of our network, who support this great game. To this end, we would like to thank the following people who've helped bring you this show uh, through their generous donations. Thea Fattel, Edward Hart, Jamal Lobb, and David Morris, along with all of our other amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to help support our podcast and that of the Forge community, you can learn more at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. Thank you. Hello, Demonation, and welcome to The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast covering everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest from Fantasy Flight Games' Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. 
I'm your host, GM Hooley, and we have an exciting show for you this episode. In Diecasting, we'll be discussing the signature spell talent and different things that you can do to enhance its use. We'll open up the furnace to continue our series on magic by talking about actually reskinning the magic system in Genesis to something entirely new. In Breaking the Mold, we'll be talking to Joshua Taylor about his new supplement, Critical Elements, and of course, we'll be answering your games and rules questions in Under the Hammer. For now, however, let me introduce you to the master of disaster, the man with no plan, the cream to my coffee, and the co-host of this show, it's GM Chris. Chris, how are you going? I'm the cream to your coffee? <laughs> well, you know how it is. <laughs> coffee black, right. Um, okay, so... We have a we have a we have a we have a coffee shop near the house. Right, okay? it's right. a little nice little family owned coffee shop, um, local joint, right? And we love supporting our local businesses. So my family goes there all the time. My my kid loves it. You know, gets herself a crawler and and a little kid drink and all that, right? Right, right. So my wife my wife rarely orders coffee. She's not much of a coffee drinker. But we were but weeks weeks ago months ago we were there, and she was zombified and she ordered a cup of coffee. And I, I was kind of surprised. And the woman who works the counter, who knows us by name, mm. uh, was surprised as well. And so she goes, she goes, well, Krista, how do you how do you take your coffee? Because um, they, of course, prepare it to your specification. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Krista doesn't break a beat. She looks at her and she goes, I like my coffee like I like my men. <laughs> and you know the old joke, right? Right. Um, and so I was cringing waiting for it. But she goes, but she goes, I like my coffee like I like my men. Silent. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> I don't know, but it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> That's gold. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How was your New Year, man? You have a good holiday? Look, I worked most of it, but um, we had, uh, you know, New Year's Eve was great. The kids, um, we gave them free reign to do whatever they wanted, uh, and they wanted to watch episode three of <laughs> of Star Wars. So we got to watch, uh, <laughs> we got to watch the um, uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, while um, celebrating New Year's. So that was interesting. Um, and they left about 10 minutes before, like it, it ended 10 minutes before the New Year's. So we went outside and did the sparkler thing. And then uh, showing my age, I just went to sleep. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of the, the end of New Year's for me. So uh, what about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we waited. We waited. We waited. My my, my nine year old insisted that we wait to watch the ball drop because she really wanted to. Right. We're like, okay. And so we watched the ball drop. We toasted, and five minutes later, she's sitting on the couch. She looks at me and she goes, "Well, that was underwhelming." <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yes, it was. Happy New Year, sweetie. Go to bed. Uh, <laughs> Now, if we can just keep that methodology going all the way through, um, all you know, until she's twenty-five, we'll all be great. What do you reckon? That would be, <laughs> you know, I reckon that will not happen, but um, <laughs> but uh, a man, a man can hope. But it was a good New Year, and it was it's been an exciting holiday season because the my God, a lot was released on the Foundry in the last few weeks. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's like everybody of, got their uh, their New Year's resolution to, hmm, I'm going to release something on the Foundry. So, <laughs> I, 
some really exciting stuff released. So I'd love to talk about it. You want to get into it? You want to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, let's take a look in Stoking the Fire. Stoking the Fire. And welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you know all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis Roleplay game. But first, Chris, would you like to take us through the D20 Radio Podcast of the Week? Of course. Now, if you love actual play podcasts, you will fall in love with one of our favorites, Eberron Renewed. Mm. Uh, this this D&D 5th uh, edition adaptation of the beloved Eberron setting um, has been going strong for almost three years, and the group is finally entering the final arc of the entire campaign. <laughs> now is the time. Now is the time. <laughs> and if you haven't listened, this is the perfect time to plow through it, catch up, um, and really enjoy this amazing show with just a great cast. Uh, mm. If you don't listen already, please go check it out. You can find it and many more amazing gaming and geekery podcasts over at d20radio.com. Now, I just can't bring myself to believe that the, the campaign is nearing its conclusion. I want to know yeah. what they're going to do after that. What are they going to do after that indeed? <laughs> he says with a knowing wink and knowledge of a new segment that will be happening on this very podcast. Mm, that sounds exciting. Um, but you also know what's super exciting as well? And that's Keyforge. Yay, they've finally been able to announce it because we've finally got the first announcement uh, officially from FFG uh, in their article, Keyforge Secrets of the Crucible, Science Fantasy Campaign Setting for Genesis. Now, this new article highlights the features of the book focusing on the modular adventures with a new system of hooks, escalations and climaxes, which will let the GM mix and match to create unique adventures each and every time that they play. That alone is the is worth the price of admission as far as I'm concerned, whether I play in that setting or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, the whole and that, that whole that whole like what they describe, it reminds me of date night, you know, <laughs> hooks, escalations, sometimes climaxes. And, and oh, it's, oh it's, dear. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel right at home. I just am. I just am. But uh, no, seriously, I I cannot wait for Keyforge. It's gonna be incredible. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know if I can wait. I, I might have to pass the time though, uh, and sate my, my, my appetite for the new with some of this new, amazing content on the foundry. As mm. we said, poor. <laughs> it's, we have so much to pour over, uh, with, uh, it, it's amazing. And, and some of them just came out of completely left field. Uh, which uh, which is great. So first up is Secret Agents, which is cool, and somebody has to do this for Game and Action Cons, surely. Um, now, it's a compact espionage campaign setting from Lazaro Izegiri. Um Hopefully I've got that right. If I haven't, I apologise profusely. We'll get you there, brother. We'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> now, it includes the basics needed uh, for a hard and fast espionage-based modern setting. It includes 25 new talents, uh, which, um, uh, you know, reading through it, it, it's spectacular. So well done uh, to Lazaro. And it's only $2. Um, you know, it's a quick hit for, uh, from, for some new spy crafty content, which is uh, right up my alley. I love it. All right. Well, okay. Speaking of, of, of getting there, there is something there that I am thrilled is there beyond thrilled to have this finally on the foundry after the first time I ever saw him using these in their alpha format at gamer nation con. 
Um, and these are the incomparable Genesis Initiative tabs from the master himself, Mr. Sterling Hershey. Mm-hmm. Um, this amazing print-and-play accessory provides a means to track and display initiative slots, PCs, NPCs, and their current conditions by placing these cool tabs on top of your GM screen or just on the tabletop itself. Mm -hmm. And all the tabs, the racks, the storage boxes that come with this for printing are all graphically themed beautifully to match the Genesis Core rulebook and have versions to match the Android Shadow of the Beanstalk setting and Realms of Terranaut settings, but of course can be used with any setting. Mm. Um, It is one of the most intuitive, useful, and time-saving initiative tracking systems I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. And of course, leave it to Sterling Hershey to develop it. uh, truly wonderful. You know, if you just throw some cardstock on your printer, you can you can make this. It's 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 worth every penny. Mm-hmm. And at two dollars and ninety five cents, it is a bargain to get your hands on a a what is really a professionally designed, graphically brilliant accessory bonanza that will make your games run faster and with more clarity for you and your players. I cannot speak enough positive goodness about this product. Indeed. Genesis Initiative tabs. Yeah. Buy them. Make them, use them. They're amazing. Yeah, and he actually mentioned that earlier uh, when we had him on the show. Um, he talked about because he did a and d version. Uh, so, uh, and he talked that he was going to be uh, bringing in something Genesis-related. So, uh, finally seeing it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Now, after he teased it heavily when he joined us on the podcast, Christopher Ruthenbeck did not disappoint with his equipment guide. It's an amazing supplement. Uh, now, while each setting in Genesis has its own lists of available equipment, the core rulebook is really only, you know, it's only the starting point. This supplement, however, expands heavily upon the starting suggestions contained in the published material and is a guide to helping groups and GMs create their, their very own unique items and, and equipment for their settings. And it's a steal at... Pay what you want. Now, if you want an example of a man who practices what he preaches, Christopher is really that guy. Uh, He almost uh, has a philanthropic philosophy to not place anything behind a paywall that a GM may need to run their games better. Uh, And that by itself is really outstanding. You know, Christopher really believes in this and hats off to him for it. But um, when it comes to pay what you want... Um, it really is a case of uh, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. So, you know, if you check out his supplements or for that matter, anyone's supplements who has pay what you want on them uh, and you love them and then use them in your game, please consider going back and paying a few dollars uh, for their work. Uh, this obviously pays uh, the, the creators. Uh, and in this case, Christopher, for uh, for their time and encourages them to make more fantastic content uh, for, uh, for the games that you love, uh, in this case, for the Foundry. Speaking of fantastic content, just announced today is Guillaume Tardif's Skills Guide, Skills Supplement for Genesis. Now, inside these pages, you will find lots of new options to add narrative effects to skill checks while uh, respecting the core rules of Genesis itself. Uh, it introduces um, new types of checks, including skill challenges, something which is very familiar to us, uh, and the story check. Rules for introducing sub-skills for more definition of your skill set, rules for enchanting and starvation, 
and guidelines for altering skills for combat, knowledge, and magic skills for your own settings. Now, this book comes in at a whopping great 122 pages, which really does match its price of $9.95. Still a good price for that much content. Uh, now, if you are worried about the price, um, Guillaume has provided a high-res preview um, on the uh, the product page that uh, you can download and check it out, uh, and it's well worth your time. So, uh, yeah, go and definitely check that one out. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, pay-what-you-want um, and, and a similar model, um, we also have a new little supplement from a new author, uh, Dennis Weaver, with his... Heroes on Demand supplement. Mm. If you need pre-generated characters for a con or for new players, this product was designed for you. It is a a, a quick little product. It's got 10 different easy-to-use pre-generated characters for use in any Genesis fantasy or Realms of Terranoth game. Mm. And I love this because of the graphic design we were talking about with Mm -hmm. with Katrina. Um, The sheets are designed to fit on one-page landscape. Uh, for ease of use at the table. Mm. Additionally, he's got versions of each of these characters in terms of zero earned XP, beginner character creation. Mm-hmm. He's got version at, versions at plus 50 earned XP and plus 100 earned XP so that you have brand new pregents if you want to bring into an experience party as well. Mm. Um, additionally, he's also got versions of each of these characters with the name, the image, and the motivations actually left blank in case the players or the GMs want to fill those in at the table. Uh, wonderfully useful little supplement. And again, pay what you want. No reason not to pick it up. Very, very good. Now, next up is James Brashfink's Brant's Return with uh, another one-page collection of interesting house rules for Genesis with Brashfink's Wondrous One-Sheet number two. Now, uh, this new Wondrous One-Sheet covers modern horror magic. Uh, It's got a new framework that completely reorganizes types of magic, spells and associated skills in a way themed for non-fantasy settings. It's very interesting, and it pay what you want. You don't have an excuse not to check it out. So go ahead. Yes. And lastly, for you aspiring designers and GMs out there in love with the specialization tree options in the Expanded Players Guide, obviously hearkening back to uh, Star Wars, Mm. um, we have the specialization tree assets from Jim Parton for only one dollar this set of asset files is specific for affinity publisher and it does basically all the hard work for you lets you quickly and easily create specialization trees that look like they came right out of the published books Mm. so if you're a fan of affinity publisher a lot of people are because it's Mm. it's cost They're, they're, they're using that to create their, their professional-looking content. Mm. Um, this is a wonderful resource to add to your lexicon uh, for the content you create. Uh, wonderful, good resource for founded creators out there. Mm. So thank you, Jim. Well done. Well, yeah, well done. Uh, so you can find these and many more Genesis Foundry content over at drivethroughrpg.com by simply performing a search using the words Genesis Foundry. Awesome. <laughs> now, also, while you guys are surfing the web, mm. why not jump over and become a supporter of The Forge by joining our Patreon? Mm. For as little as $2 a month, you can get access to our Discord server. Higher tiers provide priority in your games and rules questions being asked on the show, with our largest tier not only providing you with a special thank you at the top of our show, but also a special monthly get-together with either Hooli or myself to discuss your Foundry project or campaign. And, of course, all of your donations help the podcast directly so we continue to provide you with excellent regular content. 
That's right, Gammon Nation. Join the Forge community by becoming a supporter at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. Mm-hmm. And thank you of our patrons for your support. Um, it really is appreciated. Mm. Okay, Huli, mm-hmm. I am primed and ready to get into some serious rules discussions. How about you? You better believe I am. So let's prime that pump and rev that engine of yours as we head out into some die casting. Die casting. The Forge podcast is all about bringing new creations to the table, and the Genesis RPG provides us all with a powerful set of tools to do so, specifically through skills and talents. Now, our die casting segment is about closely examining individual skills and talents and how they relate to the creations you craft. Last episode, we put the medicine skill under the operating lights, (laughs) but tonight we're going to return to talents. Keeping that theme with the core show of our topic, namely magic, we're going to take a look at a talent, or I guess a couple talents, from Realms of Terranoth. Signature spell and its bigger sibling, signature spell Improved. Now this talent, it's really quite powerful, but it's fitting for any character who really wants to, you know, to theme their their character build uh, and certainly makes it just that little bit easier to cast that excessively large fireball spell that they've always wanted to cast. So let's talk about these. Uh, I mean, in terms of basics, Huli, I mean, how do these how do these talents work? Yeah, well, look, there's uh, the two talents. Uh, one is Tier 2 and one is Tier 4. So the first one, Signature Spell. Uh, tier 2, it's a passive talent and it's not ranked. Now, that's something that we have to, we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but the, uh, the talent says, when your character gains this talent, decide on a Signature Spell for them, consisting of a particular magic action, and a specific set of one or more effects. When your character casts their signature spell, consisting of the exact combination of action and effects previously chosen, reduce the difficulty of that check by one. And then it's uh, its improved version. Pretty much says the same thing, except that it's a tier four. Um, it adds that uh, you have to have uh, purchased the signature spell first, Um, and, uh, it says that, you know, when your character casts their signature spell, you reduce the difficulty of the check by two instead of one. Now, this is something that, that I've had a lot of questions, uh, from my players about, um, when, uh, because I've started playing Terranoth and it's something that's sort of, uh, that is a little bit confusing, um, and it probably needs to be spelled out a little bit. And that's I the, think so. Yeah. So what that is is that you have to choose, when it comes to this signature spell, when you first purchase it, you have to choose a specific spell action. So that's going to be whether it's, um, whether it's an attack, whether it's a conjure, whether it's a heal, or whatever it is that you're choosing. So that's your spell action that you have to choose. Once you've chosen that then you choose a number of effects that are going to uh, play into that spell. So, for example, if you've got heal, you might say that, um, you know, you want it to be multiple people. Uh, so it, it might have the, the effect uh, that you can affect multiple targets. Uh, you might also want to add in that you can do it at medium range. So you add in those things. Now, that then is locked in. You can't move that. You can't change it. You can't um, drop certain, uh, you know, certain effects. It is that talent. It is, it is that spell effect 
that you're casting with all of those add-ons. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's pretty much the 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 nuts and bolts of it. Now that we've had a, a few questions, and I guess it, it's best that if we ask these as we go and sort of we answer them. Um, so, firstly, you know we've talked about how to design the spell, and that's pretty simple. Uh, the question, though, uh, that's first up is is how do you balance the spell selected so that you don't feel like you're wasting the talent? So, what I mean by that. <laughs> Is that how do you go right? I want um, to choose my spell at uh, you know at, at um, when you've reached that that tier two talent. How do I make it versatile so that it's going to last me all the way through my character's life, rather than going? It's going to be absolutely fantastic at the start, but it's going to be fairly meh when it gets later on in life. Or are you going to choose that it, I'm never going to be able to cast this spell at the start, but my God, am I going to be able to do it really well later on down the track? You know, that's that's the this is the hardest part of this talent, Lily. Yeah, um, yeah because I mean, you 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 have to make it versatile enough that you're going to want to use it immediately mm. and effectively. Mm. Uh, but you know, then as you say, useful enough to, to really maximize its effects at higher you know levels of play when you've got a lot more earned XP under your belt. Mm. Um, this is a this is a challenge, and I don't know that there's a right answer to it. Mm. Um, it really comes down to, to to the player in question. I think the biggest advice that we can give is if you're a player who's going to take this talent, don't rush into it. Because once you make this, as we'll come to in a bit, <laughs> you only get to make this choice once. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, and this is a this is a shockingly good benefit. But ultimately, Huli, this this problem of of how to how to balance that spell so you don't feel like you're wasting it mm. is one of the reasons that I actually took the inverse tact in my familiar setting. Mm. Um, which, interestingly enough, I actually wrote these talents in that setting before. Uh, before Realms of Ternoth was even released. Uh, <laughs> but but in, in my avenue, I didn't have one talent that was signature spell, like, hey, pick a pick a combo of a spell and some effects, and that particular combo is, you know, one die cheaper for you to cast. Yep. My, my, my tact was that I had, I, had a, I had a focus talent for each of the spell types. There was attack focus, there was augment focus, curse focus... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Mm. And when you take the talent, and again, it's non-ranked, mm-hmm. um, so you only get to take it once. For that particular spell type, like mm. attack, you pick an additional effect mm-hmm. that is worth one purple die only. Mm. And at that point in time, any time you cast that spell type and you add that additional effect, that particular additional effect does not increase the difficulty. Mm. I did that because I was thinking ahead to higher levels of play. Mm. How can I keep this meaningful throughout the progression of a player's career? Um, And so, so, you know, but when you're, but, but at the same time, my talents are, are not as versatile as this in terms of the, the badassery you can do with it. Mm. You can really take an, you know, a, a, a very comprehensive spell with heavy difficulty mm. and you can, you know, have it, have it be at five difficulty and then make it four. And that's mm. not typically very, very hard to do. Yeah. Um, absolutely. 
I mean, I don't know. My my own my own personal recommendation. I I tend to look for a spell that is three difficulty. Mm-hmm. So hard would be its total. Yep. That way, I can reduce it to an average check. Mm-hmm. Because no matter how many setback dice I'm facing, um, even at higher earned XP, I can typically almost always count on making an average check. Mm. Exactly. Uh, and I think that it works really, really well for attack spells and healing spells because the once you're, you're starting to reduce the difficulty of of the check, you're always going to be doing more damage because as you're increasing your um, you know, as you're, as you're getting access to implements, as you're getting access to uh, to higher skill ranks, that you're always going to be adding to those without sort of feeling as though you're jipping yourself right at the start. And that's what I think that some players do have a problem doing is that they've, it's like a kid in a candy store, that they've walked in and all of a sudden they've gone, I can reduce the difficulty by one. I can make my five difficulty four. This is going to be amazing. And then they get totally and utterly frustrated when they can't make the spell work. And then you've got uh, displeased players who just go, oh, I've just wasted, you know, 10 XP on this talent and I could have chosen something else, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you've got to really think about it before you choose it so that you can maximize it for later use. Um, And I think what you've said there is 100% right. Look for something in that hard category. Um, you know, if you really want to risk it, take it up to four. But uh, I think at uh, at the start, look for something that is uh, is going to be no greater than three, and then make sure that it's the sort of spell that you're going to be able to use later on down the track at a better effect because of higher ranks. Yeah, no, and you 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 dropped some serious wisdom there with with attack and heal, mm. Uli, because those are two choices. Where even at a a higher level of play, mm. at more earned XP, even if you pick a low difficulty heal spell or attack spell to apply this to, mm-hmm. it's not an issue so much of not making it. It's an issue in those two spells cases of getting more successes because you reduce the difficulty. Mm. And for something like an attack spell, that means more damage. Mm-hmm. For something like a heal spell, it's even more important. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the, the best uses of signature spell that I've seen in Terranoth was for divine casters mm-hmm. who take it for take it for heal. And they'll literally say, okay, uh, you know, it, it, I'll keep it simple. I'll do two purple dice. It's heal with one range upgrade added. And that means that I'm always casting that at a single purple difficulty, which means I'm usually getting bomb successes, mm. which means that I'm healing a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things, and we'll get to this later on down the track um, with a question that, uh, that somebody has asked us, uh, which we'll, we'll cover uh, later on. But one of the things that uh, is interesting is when it comes to uh, casting healing, that most of the time, especially when you're looking at D&D and things like that, most of the time healing doesn't happen until somebody you know, drops. One of the interesting things is, is that you can't use a standard heal on somebody who has the incapacitated condition. In other words, their their wound or strain threshold has dropped by one. So when it comes to the divine skill, um, if you want to have a spell that's always going to be on hand, uh, that is easy to use, gets better over time, and can affect a target whether incapacitated or not, healing with the revive incapacitated effect is going to be perfect for you. Now, for those who use the Arcana skill, the attack spell 
with the destructive or empowered effect, um, it's going to be likely to do, uh, you know, the most damage uh, and the most, um, you know, bang for buck, um, pun the pun. Um, Both of those are two difficulty increases. Uh, So you don't particularly want to do both, but certainly when you're making this decision on what spell to, uh, to create, the the attack spell with either of those two is going to be great, um, and it, and it, as I said, it sticks with that three difficulty. Um, as for primal, though, uh, your choice might be better suited to perhaps something like conjure. Now, uh, using that spell, it stays in theme with what a you know a primalist is going to be all about, um, and allows you to uh, gives you that versatility. Uh, to conjure things quickly um, and, uh, you know, if you're running away or something like that. Now, my suggestion would be to choose additional summon uh, and one or maybe two range increases. Remembering that when it comes to conjure, it's in engaged range. So whenever you cast it, it turns up right next to you. Uh, to, to get it out to short, you need one range band increase. To get it out to medium, you need two. The problem with this is that it obviously increases uh, the difficulty uh, from that uh, that three purple die to four. Now, even though that it's reduced by uh, signature spell down to three, it's still, for a beginning character, it's not always going to be successful. So really, it's going to be up to you. Uh, you can get around the uh, the range increment uh, increase by using uh, implements. Uh, such as, um, you know, wands and, and things like that. So, you know, if um, if you want to do it and you just want to get it out of short range, just go with one uh, one range increase. Um, and so that's, go- that's going to bring your difficulty back to that three purple die, which is what we're suggesting. Uh, so therefore, when you have signature spell, uh, it's going to be only two purple die and you're going to get it off more often which uh, is exactly what you do. It's going to save your frustration. And later on down the track, especially because you've got additional summons, um, two advantages are going to get you more, uh, more minions to basically be summoning that the, you know, the NPCs uh, that are chasing you are going to have to deal with, or even if you're battling them, it's, uh, they're going to have to deal with that as well. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's what I'd be suggesting as far as, um, you know, what sort of spells you should be choosing. Now, the, the, the fundamental issue though, mm. and I, I want, I want to ask about this yeah. because this builds off this next question. Mm. You can only take this talent once. Mm. That's right. Um, and you know, when you take this talent, you're stuck with it. So, and you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. But the the thing that probably from a design perspective that, that I've heard some people talking about is that, you know, could this be an opportunity to design an advanced talent that allows you to, to gain this talent for a second spell? And the shorter answer is don't do it under any circumstances, please, please, please. <laughs> because what that's doing is that especially if you've got the, uh, you know, you've got an, the improved version. Uh, even if you were to make it a tier five, it means then that the improved talent still affects this new talent. So you can then be casting two different spells at way different uh, difficulties. 
um, way different reduced difficulties. So it's going to be a little bit OP. So yeah. Yeah. No, not not a little bit, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Now, another question that I've been asked about this as well is, does the spell have to look the same every time that you cast it? So if you've got an attack spell, does it always have to look like a massive fireball? Or if you've set it up with some sort of acid type look, does it have to be, um, does it have to be an acid ball? Does it have to be this? Well, it's going to go down to what sort of effects are there. But this question specifically came up in my own game when it came to the conjure ability. So uh-huh. when you've got a conjure spell, do you have to specify exactly what type of animal that you're going to be conjuring? And the answer no. is no. <laughs> so again, it goes down to your spell selection. You want something that's going to be a lot more versatile. So if you've chosen conjure and you want to make sure that it's a medium range and you want to make sure that it's a... Um, you know, it's a, a silhouette two creature, for example, that you would be setting that in stone now, but then it's a little bit more random as to what sort of uh, creature you want to summon. So it is more versatile. So if you're in a water adventure, you can still use that signature ability or that, that signature spell, but you can conjure a dolphin. As opposed to being in the desert where you might want to conjure um, a uh, pack or, or a camel if you really needed to get out of the way in a hurry. Um, you know, that, that sort of is, it becomes a lot more versatile as far as choice goes. So, um, yeah, the, the short answer is no, it doesn't need to look the same. Except when you're looking at the effects that you've applied. So, if you've got the fire effect when it comes to... Um, uh, when it comes to uh, the attack spell, that it's probably going to narratively look a little bit fiery or at, or at the very least something quite hot. Um, and the same sort of thing would apply with electricity as well. Anything to add there, Chris? Um, no, no. I mean, you, you, you covered it pretty extensively there. Cool. Um, my, my next question, though, about these... Mm. How does this talent or these talents work with implements? Because, and this is another one I've seen repeated. I mean, can you, even though you have this set talent, this set spell recipe, like this is it, <laughs> yep. can you use implements with them? Look, there is absolutely nothing in the rules that says that you can't. Um, now, for those that, that may not necessarily be familiar with, with magic, an implement is going to be a things like a wand or a staff or a scroll, or although there aren't really rules for scrolls yet, um, for rings and things like that. So because of the, the sort of abstract nature of what Genesis is, there isn't going to be like a ring of spell storing and this is the rules for it. Although you could probably design that, it's going to be a, a little bit different. For when it comes to the standard implements, you, you're looking at like a one, for example, and that's going to reduce difficulty uh, by one of a certain effect. So if you've got an attack spell, for example, um, and you have the, uh, the, the signature spell, um, and it's just a tax spell, and it's at, um, let's say, you've got it set up so that it's uh, at long range um, and that it has multiple targets or something like that. 
um, that what you would be doing is you would add, for example, if the, uh, if the wand had the fire effect added, you would add the fire effect to your signature spell. Uh, and there's nothing in the rules that says that you can't do that. So, you know, implements could be some way to enhance your signature spell, hmm. which is pretty cool. Right. Now, the other question, though, and it's probably the last one before we get into some interesting stuff, um, is can you actually swap out the effects? Because there are some game systems that allow you, once you get to a certain level, if you've chosen something that is like locked in, that you can go, right, well, I'm going to swap out this and swap something else. And, and some GMs allow their players to refit their characters once they get to a certain power level, for want of a better term, that, uh, you know, to swap out their talents or to, if a new book might come out that has new talents in it that are going to be more appropriate to swap out those talents. In this case, once you've chosen this this ability, you cannot swap out the effects. You're stuck with whatever you've got. However, wouldn't it be cool if there was a talent that was out there that, um, you know, you could swap these things out? What do you reckon, Chris? I reckon <laughs> that's eminently reasonable. And like we are wont to do here in the diecasting segment, we would be remiss if we did not offer to break the rules with some wonderful homebrewed options for playtesting readiness at your table. Hmm. And to that end, we are proud to bring you two new talents designed to work in conjunction with Signature Spell. Yeah. Now, the first of these talents is one that we call Manipulate Signature Spell. Mm. Now, whereas Signature Spell is a Tier 2 and Improved Signature Spell is a Tier 4, this talent, Manipulate Signature Spell, is a Tier 3. Its activation is active, you need to choose to use it, um, and it is non-ranked. It is also requires a prerequisite. Your character must have purchased the Signature Spell talent to benefit from this talent. Mm. Now, when you choose this talent, Manipulate Signature Spell, Select an effect applicable to this spell type no greater than one purple die. When your character casts their signature spell, they may spend two strain to swap out this effect for another of an equal difficulty increase. So in other words, if you've got your spell recipe selected and you've got an effect in there for for that signature spell that is plus one difficulty... You can take this talent, Manipulate Signature Spell, pick one of those plus one difficulty effects in the signature spell and spend two strain to swap it out for something of equal value. Mm. And, you know, it's a tier three talent. It's two strain to activate it. Mm. And it only applies to one particular effect for swapping in that spell. Yep. Um, I think it's adds a, a fair bit of versatility mm. to signature spell. And it's certainly by giving that, that extra two-strain cost, if there's anything that I've learned from, uh, from running Terranoth, um, is that strain is something that disappears <laughs> really, really quickly. Um, and uh, it's, it's surprising. You know, we hear often that people are going, oh, you know, the, the spell system uh, doesn't sort of, it, it's overpowered because people can cast whatever they want. That strain cost, it's massive. And, you know, if you're, if, uh, you know, keep an eye on what thing's going. You don't want to impede your characters too much. But if, you know, for one, uh, for one threat, that's two strain or one wound. 
And, <laughs> you know, to, you just need to, you, you hear them sort of going, oh, do I really want to do this? Or do I want to spend those advantages rather than activate blast? Do I want to, you know, have a few more uh, to spend to get some more strain back? Uh, but I've, I've, you know, and once you start hearing them doing that, they're, they're doing this sort of their mental arithmetic as they're going. And boy, do they just squirm when you have to go, yeah, well, you know, that for that next check that you've done and you've done, uh, you know, four threat, uh, well, that's going to be, or two threat even, you know, that that's four strain, gone. Um, or you can take two wounds and they go, um, and they quickly look at their character sheet. So it's getting them really invested in their character and and uh, and the process involved. So uh, so yeah, it's it's. I don't think that it's overpowered, and I think that this particular talent really adds a little bit more versatility to uh, to a talent that that some players may feel that they're completely locked into. Um, but our second talent that we've got is um, it's the improved version of Manipulate's signature spell. Um, it's a tier five, and, and when you hear what that is, you'll understand why it's tier five. It is an active uh, activation, um, and your character must have purchased a signature spell talent to benefit from this talent. When you choose this talent, select an effect applicable to this spell type, no greater than two difficulty, uh, or plus two difficulty. When your character casts their signature spell, you may spend four strain, that's huge, Full strain to swap out this effect for another existing effect that is no greater than the chosen effect's difficulty increase. So, you know, if, you, if you've got something like um, that increases it by two, you can swap it with another one that's, uh, that's an increase of two, or you can swap it out for something that's going to be an increase of one. Obviously, the end effect is still going to be um, a higher difficulty uh, for, uh, for doing that. But when you look at it, you're spending six strain to do that. Uh, so uh, there is quite an applicable cost involved. Um, but uh, again, it's making that signature spell that people might feel restricted with to, uh, you know, to, to expand their options. I guess, and uh, really give their their character a lot more flavor. You know, going back to the the, the Mongo healing spell you were talking about earlier, where mm. you, you know you choose that that incapacitated additional effect, and yep. you, you add that in, you know, so you can always do that, so you can you can bring somebody up who's down. Take this talent for that effect would allow you to swap it out for you know anything else you want. So if they're not down, you can still get that reduced difficulty. Very handy, very helpful. Mm, absolutely. So yeah, now obviously, where can people find uh, these uh, two wonderful new talents? <laughs> they can, of course, find them beautifully written up in the resources section of our website at forgegenesis.com. Mm. And guys, please get these on the table, get them play tested, mm. and uh, let us know what you think. Absolutely. Fun town, fun mm. discussion. Mm. But Huli, I think it's time to pump the bellows and heat things up as we open up the furnace. The furnace. And welcome to the furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic concerning custom creations using the Genesis role-playing game. Now tonight we're going to return to our multi-show discussion on the magic system in Genesis. Now we first covered the bare bones of magic in episode 8, Demystifying the Mystical, part 1. And we continued that discussion in episode 10, Demystifying the Mystical 2, Electric Boogaloo. 
But all of that has been laying the mad foundation for tonight as we finally begin tackling the Herculean task of reskinning the magic system in its entirety. Uh, and considering the bone-breaking task ahead, <laughs> it might be quite fitting to end up calling our third instalment of Demystifying the Mystical Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, <laughs> and you know, as, as, as we determine who exactly runs Bartertown in this episode, um, we will be continually referring back to the rules of thumb and the lessons we explored in episodes 8 and 10. Hmm. But this episode will solely focus on taking those learnings and bending and breaking them in a balanced fashion to create something entirely new. Mm. And truth be told, guys, we I, I, we just didn't want to lay a six-hour episode on you. <laughs> um, it, it is going to take us much more than this single episode to accomplish this task. Yeah. As, as primarily because we have decided on the show here live to... <laughs> insanely create an entirely new reskin system based on the magic mechanics with you mm. walking you through that as we go through these lessons and it's going to take us some time yeah um but uh <laughs> it yeah 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 it's going to be a fun discussion no less um and as a continual reminder as chris said we spent two whole episodes talking about how magic works episode eight covered uh, spells skills and additional effects as well as the magical maneuvers available in the core rulebook. In episode 10, we covered penalties when casting spells, spending threat and despair for magic, and also how magic skills can and should be associated with careers. In both episodes, we provided a total of 11 magic rules of thumb uh, for the core magic mechanics for you to remember and use when creating or modifying your own spells, magic skills, and additional effects. Now, those discussions and those rules of thumb uh, matter. Don't forget that. Really take a look at those um, and make sure that you understand them as they are going to apply here uh, as well. And this goes without saying, before you listen to this episode, you really need to have listened to episodes 8 and episode 10 in order to make sense of much of what we're going to cover tonight and the logic behind our decisions. We're going to proceed, assuming you've already got episodes 8 and 10 under your belt. If you haven't, just just pause pause this episode now, <laughs> go and, and, and re-listen. Hmm. All right, raggedy man, let's spin the... <laughs> um, because we, we are going to revisit and refine some lessons learned to provide a framework for creating your own system based off of Genesis Magic, mm. um, and begin the process of doing it ourselves live on this show. Two men enter, <laughs> one <system> leaves. <laughs> oh, that's gold. Uh, <laughs> all right, so a couple of boilerplates before we start the process. Now, what we're going to present here, uh, we have to say it, it has not been playtested. So before you have it uh, on your table, make sure that you playtest, playtest, playtest. And if you'll want to learn more about what's involved with playtesting, go back to episode three, where we spoke at length with Alexis Dykema of Fantasy Flight Games about some of the things that uh, you might want to consider when going through the, uh, the playtesting phase. Uh, of your creation um so you know when we get into uh, you know the the actual creation of it uh of this new system based on the genesis magic yeah just make sure that you understand that we have not play tested as what we're creating is really going to be a draft of something that um hopefully 
uh, that you can use in your own games um, once it gets playtested. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, the, the framework we're going to be presenting to you guys, you don't need to playtest the framework. We've developed the framework because we've done this multiple times and these are our best practices. <laughs> yep. But the the example system we will be creating, this reskin of magic, hmm. again, not ready to be played or fit for a public table yet. <laughs> it needs to be play tested because obviously we're creating it live on the show and haven't play tested it yet. Hmm. Indeed. So. Yeah. So this is non negotiable. All right. Got it? Awesome. <laughs> Let us proceed. <laughs> All right, so so Chris, I guess the first question uh, that anyone would be asking is why reskin the magic system in the first place? Well, that that is the question. I mean, we we spent two episodes talking about how you can add to and possibly modify safely the existing magic system in Genesis. So, mm-hmm. what does a full reskin actually mean, and why do you do it? Mm. Simply put, if you're setting as a system of powers or supernatural abilities that cannot or should not be handled by the other skill check options out there, then it, it's a candidate for, and it's not magic. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, it, then it's a candidate for reskinning. Yeah. But I mean, there, there's some pretty common role-playing and pop culture tropes that represent this that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, you have things like, you know, psychics or, or psionic powers, for example, um, superpowers, which is something which is, um, you know, close to my heart. Um, you know, using uh, superpowers in a setting. Elemental powers, like if you wanted to design Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, for example. Um, uh, mutant abilities that uh, that aren't really sort of going to be covered by anything else. Um, you know, what else have we got out there? One of the more intriguing things I saw was somebody said they wanted to do a Tron setting. Yes. Um, where, where, you had, where you had powers that were basically uh, like commands. They were like like user commands. And somebody said, well, we have the hacking system. We have the... It's like, no, it's not the same. That's hacking. This yep. is like I'm in this world and I can put my hand on something and make a special power happen mm. through some will that's different. And, and you know, I thought that was an intriguing suggestion. Mm. But, I mean, God, yeah, there's a plethora of things, man. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, if you wanted to, to go and... I don't know, reskin uh, a Genesis version of Star Wars. You know, all of the the Force powers are just, uh, they're begging to be uh, created as uh, a spell with additional spell effects type thing. You know, that that is something that would require a major reskin. If you were to go through all of the Star Wars RPG books, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can't do in, in Genesis. So that's the sort of thing that you'd be looking for. Uh, but uh, as you say, Chris, there's... There's an endless number, and we can be here, you know, we can spend the next six hours talking about, uh, you know, the different ways and, and different options that are out there. Yeah. But ultimately, Huli, mm. there's some very specific, I guess I should say, requirements mm. or goals that you've got to meet if you're going to do this. If you're going to do this, if you're going to do a reskin of magic in order to handle one of these tropes of powers or abilities mm. that we're talking about, there are four requirements or goals that you need to meet that you need that that system to meet in your setting that's right number one you have to need you have to have a need for discrete power effects Mm. i.e spells yeah okay Mm -hmm. number two 
such abilities need to you need such abilities to cost the user something to perform. Mm. You know, i.e. two strain. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Number three, you as a GM need such abilities to have a chance of failure when trying to pull it off. Mm. In other words, they need a skill check to be made. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And fourth, you you as a GM need such abilities uh, to be made more effective or more versatile at a cost of increased difficulty on the skill check. Mm. If if those four things, those four tenets of magic, are going to apply to whatever this system is you're wanting to reskin to, then you're in the right you're in the right wheelhouse there. <laughs> That's right. But the other thing that you have to remember though is that not everything is going to fall into these goals that we've mentioned. Don't fall into the trap of trying to magify everything. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a very cool mechanic and it's a great subsystem. Um, but, uh, it's not going to necessarily cover everything. Sometimes there is just going to be something that you want the, the character to be able to do that may just be better, uh, as a special ability of their species, or it might be something that, um, is, you know, better suited to the realm of a talent or something like that. Um, Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. So the question, though, um, which I'm sure is every- on everyone's lips at this point, is how do we reskin the magic system? You know, we, we know why we want to do it, but how do we do it? And I know this is going to take a long time to explain, as we've sort of said earlier, but let's start that process. So how do we go about reskinning the magic system? Well, we do have a process that we are going to recommend you guys follow. Hmm. Now, I have I have personally done either modification or flat full on reskins to the magic system four times at this point. Good lord! Uh, <laughs> uh, and and I've 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 learned a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there is at the very least a, a way of tackling this or a methodology that I personally recommend heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it consists uh, it consists of seven steps. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I like to say, um, we're going to go through starting with this episode, this recommended process while also pausing after each step to build our very own reskin live on the show here at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So after we explain it, you can see the step in practice. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting guys, you don't have to follow this process, um, in whole or in part or, or even in order. This is again, just what we have found works best for us. Hmm. So our first step is to rough out your concept. Now, this is kind of a, it's a bit of a no-brainer, but um, actually going through the effort to explore this and write it down will heavily inform your later decisions uh, when going through this process in a very, very positive way. Mm-hmm. All right. In step one, we've got two questions that we have to ask. So the first one is what is or are the source or sources of these powers. First question you got to ask yourself: Do they come from the mind? Are they, are they like learned abilities? Am I like am I like a wizard? I can go study and just figure this out. Okay, mm, yeah. are they the result of biological or genetic mutations or inherited genetic markers? Exposure to a mystical energy field, <laughs> cosmic radiation. Um, the, the bottom line is also the answer could be multiple things, mm. and that's okay. Mm. But you you need to line that out. What, what is the source of these powers in your setting? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the next question is then going to be what is what are the effects 
that uh, that these powers give. Yeah, and and this is this is equally important. This is where we start to bring in some of our magical rules of thumb. Mm. Don't don't think of this in terms of defining the spells right now mm. and what they are. We'll, we'll we'll come to that. Okay, we'll we'll come to that. That that's <laughs> that's that's step three and step four. Okay, mm. what what we're saying here in this step in step one is right now just at a very high level sketch it out in a bit we'll see how it's how we put into specific quote-unquote spells and and into talents as well later on Mm. but right now think about high concept and again going back to our magical rules of thumb the effects these powers will achieve at a very very high level Mm. um don't worry about breaking them out right now don't worry about combining them don't worry about separating them don't worry about refining them just make a list what are the things that this incredible power capability in this setting should be able to do? Mm. Now, Holy, mm. let's take a let's take us aside really quick and yep. get into the first part of our own example yep. with this step. Mm. Now, in keeping with the theme <laughs> <laughs> that, that we have strangely established for this particular episode, <laughs> um, I'm thinking that we stick to a Beyond Thunderdome vibe, right? And Dude, I don't know. Do you want to reskin magic for a a post-apocalyptic setting? I think that would be absolutely fantastic. And I think that when you're talking about a post-apocalyptic setting, you're obviously looking that radiation maybe played something into it or some <laughs> sort of um, uh, maybe it was a virus or something like that that uh, that has affected the the people. So I think that we should look at mutations. What do you think? I think it is brilliant. And so for our example, um, as we go through this, guys, uh, we are going to be reskinning the magic system of Genesis into a system for mutation-based powers. <laughs> um, with, with, and this is very important, with a post-apocalyptic set of effects and usages. Yeah. All right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, Huli, now that we've figured that out, mm-hmm. let's go through this, this rough out and let's ask the questions. What is or are the source or sources of these powers if we're doing mutation in a post-apocalyptic setting? Obviously, it's going to be mutation. So, you know, that's the that's the source. But whereabouts does it come from? Um, as I mentioned before, you know, you, it may be from radiation or some sort of biological containment, uh, which ultimately led to or was a byproduct of, you know, this apocalypse that has happened in the first place. Um, you know, maybe even as a result of forced mutation or evolution in the aftermath of the apocalypse. Um, you know, maybe this apocalypse has been created because to, to put a little bit of a superhero bin on it, if you wanted to go down this path, that people were starting to experiment with, um, you know, super soldiers and things like that. And something went horribly, horribly wrong. And, you know, a virus has wiped out half of the planet. Um, and then suddenly, you know, you've got those who've managed to, um, you know, throw off the effects of the virus, but suddenly they've got whatever it is that these powers are. You know, these are all good options, you know, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, the hmm. source of this power comes from this mutation, you know, that is the result of the apocalypse. Hmm. Now, keeping that in mind. And we think about this theme of of mutation specifically, and when you and I, Huli, are 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 searching into the backs of our brains for all of the <laughs> post apocalyptic games we've ever played, whether they be on the table or on a video game screen, mm. um, you know, or in movies we've watched. Yep. 
and when we think about the world that these inhabitants are going to be inhabiting, let's line out what the effects of these powers are going to be. Yeah. Because I mean, honestly, it's going to be it's going to be fairly broad. Yeah. Look, the 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 mutations though are, are obviously you know they're going to be both obvious and perhaps invisible. You know, if you look at the likes of, of um, uh, you know, mutants and if you, you were to have like an X-Men setting type thing, you know, you've got some who are like Nightcrawler, who everything's just out there that they can't, you know, hide that. Um, and then you're going to have people who are more like um, Eugene Gray, who, who doesn't, she looks just like a normal girl. But then suddenly she has all these special powers. So it is going to be obvious and both invisible. Meaning, what I mean by that is that, you know, there's going to be common mutations like psychic powers, as I I said. As to what these abilities do, though, you know, you're going to have um, attacking, which, you know, it's causing damage um, without using a weapon. Uh, so, you know, you've got the, the likes of Jean Grey or, you know, with some sort of psychic powers or, or something physical but still weird like, you know, acid vomit or porcupine-like sky, um, you know, spikes or, or blasts of radiation or, or something like that. I, I think I think you bring up a really good point there because, hmm. you know, we, we talk about these, these mutations that can be subtle but at the same time also obvious. You know, you brought up the example of X-Men. To keep things post, post-apocalyptic, mm. I'm, I'm – I'm casting my brain to Fallout, yeah. and I'm thinking of, of the super mutants, um, yep. you know, and and then to a lesser extent the ghouls, who have obvious, massively visible physical mutations. Mm. And you know, in in the case of mutations like psychic powers, you know, maybe I just look like a normal human, but I've got these mutations. Mm. Um, also, let's also not forget the the amazing uh, paranoia setting. Another great example yes. of, of mutant powers. Yes. <laughs> um, but but when you when you bring up the example of you know like the you know I, I want these abilities to attack yeah if I have psychic abilities yeah I can certainly attack somebody with that but at the same time I might be a big freaking super mutant hulking dude with you know who can shoot <laughs> porcupine spikes out of my spine and you know but 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 the point is regardless of whether it's subtle or whether it's extreme these powers can be used to attack yeah um, now Huli as we're as we're brainstorming on this. Mm. You br- you bring up psychic ability. Psychic powers are extremely common post apocalyptic mutation. Yep. You can't have psychic powers, in my opinion, without having telekinesis. Mm. <laughs> that ability to move things with your mind—it's just so classic for psychic powers. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. You know, and the, there is a range of psychic abilities that that can be thrown in there. You know, and you just need to look at um, you know something like Star Wars. For example, with all of those sorts of, of powers that uh, they're obviously, you know, powers of the mind. Um, if you if you're looking for some sort of inspiration for that sort of thing, absolutely. Now, for our, for our sitting though, I want to keep it somewhat limited. Mm. I mean, when I when I think of post apocalyptic specifically psychic powers, mm. it's always limited to like scanner style stuff where you <laughs> can like tear somebody up with your mind. <laughs> Yeah, there is certainly a horror level of uh, or a horror element thrown into that uh, yeah, yeah. to to add. Yeah, and there's also telekinesis. But then the other thing is, and this is this is not only psychic but also like overt mutation, mm. like physical mutation, like heightened or improved durability or defense. Mm. So there's obviously the the classic you know telekinetic trope of being able to block an incoming attack. And I think that should be represented. But at the same time, I might be a badass super mutant with scaly thick hide that can just take a blow mm. much better 
than somebody normally could. Yeah. You know, you can picture it that sort of like they're, as they're activating this ability, you know, the, the muscles are sort of like tensing and they're getting larger in the sort of in that, that jolted sort of fashion. And you can hear uh, bones sort of almost breaking and tear and muscles and flesh tearing as they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, uh, so yeah, that sort of stuff. That's sort of that horror element. Well, can I, now, could we take that beautiful image you just painted and expand that further? Mm. Because so, so, far we, so far we said we know we need attacking. We know we need telekinesis. We know we need improved durability or defense. Mm-hmm. But that, that idea of, of hulking out, mm. so to speak, yeah. what about improving just physical or even mental abilities? I mean, super strength. Yep. Super intelligence, mm. you know, heightened speed. Yeah. I mean, that, especially from a, a physical mutation standpoint, that would track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the super fast speed or even healing or, you know, survivability in, you know, strange circumstances, for example, you know, like um, if they have to go through a radiated field, um, being able to, you know, breathe toxic atmosphere or, um, or, or sort of like go through one of those, uh, a blast zone that, um, you know, that's recently had a nuclear device go off or, or it has still that residual radiation that they can walk through normally. Um, uh, you know, if you've got something like Waterworld, you know, you might have somebody who's got um, the ability to be amphibious, for example, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, these are all good mutations. Okay, mm. okay, so... We've got attacking, we've got telekinesis, we've got improved durability slash defense, mm-hmm. we've got improved physical slash mental abilities, we've got, you mentioned, fast healing, mm-hmm. and then, I love this because it's very, I, I don't know that I would ever do this outside of an apocalyptic setting, but it, it makes sense for an apocalyptic setting. So, what did you say? Survivability in strange circumstances. Mm. Yeah. And in that very situational, I absolutely love it. <laughs> Okay, now, Huli, some of these abilities might be discrete, quote-unquote, spells, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Others might actually be fall into the realm of talents. Mm. Um, but but we'll, 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 we'll get to that. <laughs> so, okay, so that's step one. I think we've, we've, at this point, roughed out our concept of mm. post-apocalyptic mutation ability. Mm. So at this stage, we really need to go to step two, which is to define your skills. So what we mean by that is that, uh, you know, we need to work out uh, what skills are going to be used to, uh, to, to power what abilities. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got skill checks as part of this process. Uh, so uh, it's, we really do need to, to work out, uh, you know, what skills are going to play the biggest part in this process. And that's obviously not just the, the magic skills themselves or, or the equivalent thereof, but also we need to look at uh, the, the skills that, that are going to power these other abilities um, because there are certain effects, obviously, when it comes to spells that uh, are affected by uh, like knowledge skills and whatever else when it comes to magic. So we kind of really need to look at that. So, Chris, can you kind of uh, look, talk to us a little bit about that and uh, how we're going to to link those skills in with these, um, you know, the equivalent of the spell actions? 
Well, actually, interestingly enough, we're not going to link him yet. It's actually going to come okay. in step three. We do, uh, the, it, well, okay, now, but but then you kind of do and you kind of don't. Okay, so this is the fundamental problem here. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is step two, defining the skills. Yeah. But it really does happen in practice in concurrence with step three, mm. which we'll come to. Mm. And you guys will find that as you flesh out step three, you will often be coming back to step two to find your skills, mm. to make adjustments to those skills. Yep. Yep. Um, but for the sake of an organized podcast, <laughs> we've decided to into, into step two and step three. Yep. And step two is about defining your skills, um, taking heavy lessons from the magical rules of thumb we went through in episode eight. Mm. And there's a couple key things you need to do. Mm. Um, the first is based on your concept that you just defined in step one, Define the skills needed to attempt these abilities. Now, there's there's a couple different tactics you can take here mm. um, to help figure out, first of all, how many skills you should be creating. Mm. It might, Huli, just be one. Mm. Might be four or five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find that answering just a couple simple questions at this step about your concept really helps mold that choice. Mm. Two specific questions. Mm-hmm. Is the ability to do this thing, whatever your reskin is, is the ability to do it rare? Now, I'm not talking about rare in the setting. <laughs> what I'm talking about is rare in terms of PCs having the ability. Right. If, if you expect to have maybe one PC in the party with the ability to do this, it's rare. Mm. At that point, your skill list should be shorter, perhaps even limited to a single skill in order to do it. Mm. Now, if half of the party or more <laughs> is going to have such abilities in all likelihood, mm. then honestly, three, maybe four skills is wise. Mm. The other question to ask on this is, does your concept that you defined in step one have different power sources for these abilities? Mm. Well, it's not always going to be this way. Usually, unique power sources translate to unique skills. That's what we see in magic. Right. Mm. Now, the question that I've got, though, because you, you talk about if, you know, half the party has got it, what happens if everybody in the party has got it? What happens if you've, you've developed this uh, post-apocalyptic setting that, as I mentioned before, you might have a situation where the, uh, they've been messing around with a super soldier program or something like that, and suddenly this virus is affecting everyone. It's got into the atmosphere, almost like a, a bit of a walking dead, but instead of people who've survived, that they are just survivors, that everybody has those special abilities. How, how does that work? Do you look at doing more than that four skills, as you're suggesting, or is three or four skills sort of how far you should go? In my experience, that's not the right question so much for that. It, it, look, if, if you've got at least half the party, you want to have at least three or four skills. Mm-hmm. Do you go more than that mm-hmm. if like, it's the whole party? Yeah. That's actually not the question. The question then becomes how often are they going to be using these skills? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll give you two good examples, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in my Aegis setting, my, my superheroic Green Lantern-inspired setting, right. okay? Mm-hmm. This is a setting where all of the party, all the PCs are going to have these powers, right. okay? Mm-hmm. In my Harry Potter setting, mm-hmm. this is a setting where all the party are going to have these powers. <laughs> In Harry Potter, I had six magic skills. Right. 
in Aegis, I had three power skills. Hmm. The reason for the disparity was because unlike Harry Potter, in the Aegis setting, those aren't the only checks I expected, and, and playtesting bore this out, I expected the characters to make during combat. Hmm. They are going to be using combat skills. They're going to be using varied other skills that go past their powers frequently. Hmm. And because that was the case, Aegis warranted bringing this down to three skills. In Harry Potter, it's Harry Potter. The only <laughs> thing they ever do is make magic checks. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, even though we had combat skills in the game, they're never used. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So because of that, it made sense to really bump it up to five or six unique magic skills in that case. Hmm. Also in Harry Potter, each one of those magic skills corresponded to a different quote unquote power source or school of magic which makes a lot of sense yeah absolutely so how do we flesh out these skills though you know what's mm -hmm. the what are we talking about here well when, when we talk about fleshing it out once you define those skills you know how many you need mm. it, it when you flesh them out you need to associate one of the six characteristics mm -hmm. that every character has to each one of these skills in a very logical way based on the source of the power um and then of course name the skills <laughs> um <laughs> Um, honestly, uh, again, episode eight, uh, remember from the magical rules of thumb, uh, just a couple of key takeaways here to remember. Yep. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, try very hard to avoid using brawn or agility as an associated characteristic for mm -hmm. a magic or in this case, magic like skill. Yep. Okay. It creates a super characteristic. It, it, it's, it's a super stat. It's bloated. Mm. The other thing. I've just learned from hard experience, it tends to make my players a little more diverse and happy. Mm -hmm. If possible, promote character diversity by trying to use different characteristics for each skill if you have multiple skills. Mm. You know, again, as as just you don't have to, but it's a it's a it's a really good best practice if you're able to pull it off. Mm. Sensible with the with the with the sensible restraints of your setting. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you've also got to put in a certain level of um, logic to it as well, um, that, you know, a mind-based power is obviously going to be something that is, uh, you know, that it, that is connected to a um, uh, whatever it is that, that the power is trying to do. So, yeah. you know, if you've got some... Um, like telepathy, for example, um, that has an ability to be able to manipulate people's minds or, or convince them of something. Presence is probably what you should be looking at. Um, if you've got something that um, is going to be moving things with your mind with telekinesis, you know, you should be looking at something that is more will-focused because it's, it's really going to be all about, um, you know, how much endurance you have to lift this thing you know look at it from a how you would see it in um in a film or a television show that what sort of what do they look like when they're doing these sorts of things are they relaxed are they less relaxed are they having to put in all that effort in that sort of stuff absolutely hmm. absolutely so okay totally let's put these let's put these lessons into practice yep so um our power source is mutation um, and so, uh, you know, the, that's a single power source. But, but honestly, for our post-apocalyptic setting, these mutations should be fairly common, uh, at least on, in our PCs 
that are in involved in this setting. Um, so I'd I'd have to say when we ask the question, uh, how many players are involved with with having that? I'd say at least half the party uh, are going mm-hmm. to have these abilities in in some sort of form or fashion. I agree. So then we ask the two questions. We, uh, you know, based on your concept, define the skills needed to attempt these abilities. <laughs> okay, well, based on the fact that this is not going to be a rare thing, hmm. and we expect half the party, as you said, to have such abilities, we definitely need more than a single skill, hmm. okay? While it's very tempting to have just a single mutation skill, <laughs> it, honestly, it, w- it would become a master skill yeah. in the party, and it, hmm. would lead to, it would lead to far too shallow XP distribution. Hmm. Um, so ideally, holy, I think we should shoot for three or more skills, ideally three skills. Mm-hmm. Now, we only have one power source of, uh, you know, for want of a better term, of mutation. So how can we keep true to that while, while getting some, some very varied skills, I guess? Well, I mean, mutation is the general power source. I mean, it's kind of like saying magic is a power source, right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but but uh, but just like magic, we we can subdivide mutation. I think into a few subsources um, that can translate into discrete skills. Hmm. Um, and honestly, honestly, Huli, the 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 kind of mutations you have could be separate power sources. I mean, or considered as such, um, and thus equate to separate skills hmm. in terms of the, the the type of mutation that you possess. Hmm. So based on, on, on what we've roughed out then uh, for our concept, we should have skills to, to cover, I guess, psychic abilities and, uh, and physical mutations. But what else can we have? I mean, that's just two skills. What, what else could we choose in there? Well, that's hard. I mean, that's really, uh, I mean, classically speaking, how mutations manifest. Mm. What I think we should do if we really want to get three skills mm-hmm. um, is I, I think we should split up physical mutations. Okay. Because there's there's what I would call extreme physical mutations, mm-hmm. and then there's more subtle physical mutations. Mm. And, and honestly, Huli, there's no reason a focused mutant build might not have ranks in two, maybe all three of mm. these skills. You know, meaning that they have all of those mutations, but of various types. But but the likelihood is that it's going to be one, maybe two of these skills for them to focus on, mm. and just in terms of how players typically distribute their XP. Yep. But honestly, we can revisit this in step three. Yeah. And if we, if we find we need to change it, we can do so. Mm. So our next point that we have to do is flesh out those skills. Um, you know, so for right now, we've decided on uh, these three mutation skills. We've got you know, one for psychic powers and we've got these two for physical uh, mutations as well, both you know, subtle and extreme. What we might have is obviously psionics. Um, Mm -hmm. we might have, um, what's a good word for it? Um, you know, metabolics, um, and, uh, I'll come to another one in a tick. (laughs) So, um, I've got an idea for the third one. Okay. Um, but, but, but let's, let's, let's start with the first two. Cause I think, I think let's, let's keep the brainstorm going. Cause I think you did really good with those two. Right. Um, I love psionics because it's, it's just psionics is psychic powers straight Mm. up your brain has been mutated you have psychic powers Mm. what characteristic would you use for psionics well look um you know uh, as i sort of said before you know uh, i think either when it comes to any sort of psionic powers that we see on film because that's always what i go back to 
is that you know uh, something in like uh, that's going to be some sort of um, a mind ability. Um, so you know whether we're looking at an intellect or we're looking at um, presence, for example, um, or even willpower. Um, but just sort of thinking about the the other skills, I think I'm, I'm probably going to you know move away from willpower, and I think that. Uh, you know, presence for me, um, uh, maybe intellect. Mm, I'm going to go with presence uh, because it's really going to be about the force of, of someone's personality, um, you know, which I think is going to be quite fitting. Uh, unlike mm-hmm. something like, you know, arcane magic, psionics isn't about, you know, it's not a learning skill or, or memorizing. So, you know, we could have intellect, but yeah, I, I think that it's it's more about that that force of of their personality, um, and and secondly, it's it's more innate. Um, you know, to uh, it's like their their force of mind, which which in my opinion just makes presence uh, a lot more fitting than anything else. No, I completely agree. And you know, if it was another setting, I think intellect might be valid for psionics, mm-hmm. but. In in a post apocalyptic setting, yeah, this is this isn't something you go to a psionic academy to learn. Yeah. It's a flat out mutation you're born with. Therefore, it's not anything you have to memorize or learn, like you say, you yeah. know, like like arcane magic. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 your force of personality. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think presence is a good choice. Mm. Um, I think willpower might also work, but I think we should reserve willpower for another one of these skills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now the second one you brought up, you said you said metabolics. Metabolics, yes, kind of like Which a steroid, but not really. <laughs> I, I love it. it. It's it's a great word for physical mutation. I mean, mm. it's a, it's this sort of pseudo word that gets the point across. Um, you know, you know, mutations of the body that directly impact the body's functions. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking almost, you know, we talk about extreme versus subtle mutations. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to break it down anymore. Now that we're walking through this, I'm thinking like if we're going to split physical mutations into two different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Metabolics is about, it's like, it's like your metabolism, right? Mm. It's like your body has certain functions. If you have a met, if you have a metabolic mutation, Mm -hmm. it means that those functions still work just in a highly enhanced fashion. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, you you know, the human body is strong. Metabolics mutations make it stronger. Mm. Okay, the human body can heal itself over time. Metabolics mutations make it heal faster. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think our, I think the the skill we've yet to come to our third physical mutation skill should be about things that don't enhance what you already have. They should be about things that are brand spanking new, <laughs> like gills or okay, you know, yeah. the, the stuff that you know is is is. Does that does that distinction make sense? Mm, absolutely. So you you've got these abilities that um that you know you you're wanting to increase your strength. So when you start looking at and I know we'll get to this in a tick, but when you start looking at um your uh, those uh, effects that are and, and sort of um, to put it into our uh, our spell terms, I guess when you start looking at enhance that it's stuff that's about you. Um, uh, that you know you're you're willing that to happen. Um, so uh, you know I I think that w- the willpower is probably going to be the most uh, appropriate in this sort of circumstance as well because it's it's really 
you're forcing yourself to um, uh, to activate these um, or enhance yourself. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, um, so yeah. yeah. yeah no. I mean, it's really tempting to use brawn as the associated characteristic because you're talking about metabolic, you know, change. Mm. But we can't do that because it's going to make brawn a super stat, and yeah. and yep. that's bad. Mm. Um, so no, I, I think willpower is a really good pairing. Mm. Now, if we talk about this third skill, and <laughs> and we've we've defined that metabolics is about enhancing what your body can already do. Right. What. What we're talking about with this third skill is really we're talking about aberrant physical mutations. Mm. You know, like like you know having spikes grow out of your back, having webbed fingers or toes, um, a third eye, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, acid vomit, things that the human body you're not enhancing what the human body already does. The yep. human body is now doing something completely different. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Could we call this like aberrant or aber aberrantics aber, ab, or something? Aberrantics, aberrantics. <laughs> That's a total <laughs> word that I love. And 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 I'm sorry, it fits. It fits the it's psionics, yeah, metabolics. Yeah. Yep, aberrantics. Mm. I don't know where that came from, but anyway, <laughs> it's all right. But what it's sort of? Great. But what sort of stat are we going to use for that? What sort of? What's the most appropriate, do you think? Okay, I don't know how appropriate it is, Huli, <laughs> but the bottom line is I don't want to use intellect. That makes no sense. No, that's right. We shouldn't, we shouldn't use brawn or agility. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to repeat a characteristic we've already used that leaves cunning. Mm. I actually don't see cunning as too bad of a pairing. Mm. You know, because when you consider like like if 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 metabolics is about enhancing your own body, that mutation, making that mutation run through force of will. This is almost like instinctive or, or the naturalistic mm. nature, you know, abilities that, that the, these aberrant, you know, yeah. aberrantics would control. Cause it's, it's, it's certainly more about adaptation that, um, yes. to, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's what cunning is. You, you know, you're adapting to the situation that's, that's at hand. Um, yes. Yep. Really, oh, that's a really good point. It is. It's adaptation mm. because that's what ab- that's what aberrant mutations would be. They're yeah. all about on the fly adaptation. Yeah. You know, the ability to breathe underwater, to to shoot porcupine quills from <laughs> your your head. You know the the, for lack of a better term, the weird. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. To 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 turn your arm into a a giant tentacle. Okay. Mm. But yeah, it's the weird. Mm. It's it's certainly more sort of the the instinctive or, or the natural, uh, you know, nature of of these abilities um, that yeah, cunning makes as uh, you know, cunning does make the most sense. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so mm. that that finishes step two. So for our mutation powers, we've got three skills. Mm-hmm. We have psionics key to presence, metabolics key to willpower, and aberrantics key to cunning. Mm. Psionics is psychic powers. Yep. Metabolics is 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 enhancing what your body already does to yep. an extreme degree, mm-hmm. and aberrantics is adapting your body to do entirely new things it was never meant to do. Yep, yep. That's I cool. freaking I freaking love it. Yeah. Okay, so that's <laughs> step two. step two. Yeah. So let's move on to step three, which is to define your spells and talents. 
Um, now, once we said earlier, this step three can and it really should occur concurrently with step two. As Chris said before, you're going to be going backwards and forwards between these two, um, uh, you know, to really refine the, the processes that you're going to put in play to, to give you these abilities. As you really determine what your spells do, you want to, uh, you want to let that not just inform you, um, but also, you know, uh, I guess inform your what the what the skills are going to be as well. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like you 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 want to not you don't just want to be informed by yeah yeah that's your, what I'm your, to say. your 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 skills. Hmm. You you don't you don't want your spells to be just informed by your skills. You want the spells to also inform the skills. It's, yeah. it's a give and take. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, Huli, I think it's important. You, you said define your quote-unquote spells and talents. This step mm. isn't just about high-level spell definition no. and skill linkage. Mm. It's also about high-level talent definition. Yeah? yeah, true. True. Very, very true. There, there's also several th- key things that we have to consider here, yeah? Yeah. The first is determine from your concept in step one mm-hmm. how the effects that you defined break out into talents and quote-unquote spells. Yeah. This is important. It, it, it's pretty obvious that you, you need to come up with the varied, quote-unquote, spells for your reskin. Mm-hmm. But before you get there, you've got to remember that not everything should be a spell. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, the, as the Expanded Player's Guide mm. highlights for us, in, in many places, um, mm. magical capabilities can and in many cases should be talents. Mm. If you look at things like from the EPG, and I know that we'll we'll probably talk about this in the next episode, but the uh, when we start looking at those talents, a, a lot of people say, "Well, where's teleportation?" Well, that's now in there, but it's an it's an add on talent to existing abilities. Um, so you know, with, with the uh, with teleportation, it's correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I'm, I haven't got the book in front of me right now, but there are you get to spend for advantages. You get to spend that to move from place to place, um, and and things like that. So yeah, those not as you say, not everything needs to be um, a spell. Uh, you know, a, an effect of a spell or a spell itself. So so yeah, and, and it actually goes both ways. You're thinking of flicker step. That's it. Yes. Uh, which, which is tier four, where you can spend where you can spend three advantage or a triumph to basically dimension door. Mm-hmm. But there is actually a tier four talent called teleportation. Yes, where literally once per session, you make a daunting arcana check to just teleport to any location in the world you know about. Yeah, like that's it. Mm. It, it is its own effect at that point. Yep. It is an honest to goodness spell mm. that is only accessible through a talent and is only usable once per session. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's there. Hmm. And, and even then there's things that you might consider to be, you know, magical, or I guess in our cases we'll get to mutations, Hmm. um, may not be, again, those, those four requirements that we talked about earlier about having, you know, these discrete needs, sometimes it's just not necessarily going to apply. Um, but, but holy, there's, there's a couple key design differences between talents and spells everyone should be aware of yeah so the we've really got two of them and the first one is the spell effect is available to even a character with just a single rank 
Mm-hmm. And the second one is a talent doesn't have to force a skill check from the character. Those are two distinct things. Mm. And so if if you have a an ability and you don't want it to be available to a character with a single rank, it shouldn't be a spell yep. or power or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you want if if you if you don't want to force a skill if if you if you have an ability and you want them to have it without making a skill check, it mm. also should not be a spell. It mm. should be in the domain of a talent. Yeah. And I mean you you've you've got to use that distinction heavily in your design. Your mm. your ability effects that you identified in step one, they might apply to both spells and they might apply to talents. Mm. Okay, in terms of what those effects are. Yeah. And sometimes they might apply to both. <laughs> you need to ask yourself. You need to ask yourself for each effect that you defined in step one. Each of those effects that your 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 reskin power is going to apply. Do I want to reserve this effect for more experienced characters? Mm-hmm. In which case, if you do, it should be a talent. Mm-hmm. Do I want to? Do I want this effect to apply without forcing a skill check? Mm. And if the case, it has to be a talent. Yeah. So so don't. Don't forget talents. It's not all about the spell. People try to spellify too many things. <laughs> talents, talents can work great. Yeah. But 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 okay, so that's that's the first part of this this third step. Determine yeah. t- take a look at, at the the effects you defined in your concept mm-hmm. and determine it just at a high level just group them. Say, "Hey, okay, th- these effects should be spells. These effects should be talents. These yep. effects should be represented in both places." Mm. Just just categorize. Yep. So at a high level, um, you know, uh, the next step, I guess, is to categorize your spell-worthy effects into specific spell names. So, uh, you know, the, if you, we go back to, you know, the magical rules of thumb from episode eight, keep your spells broad and categorized by effect. So what do I mean by that, Chris? It means do your very best to keep the number of spells minimal, yeah. but still discreet, and think about them in terms of effect. Mm. What do what do they do to the target? Yeah, yeah. What is the target, and what do they do to them? So this is the time where you 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 break that out. You sort of name your name your spells. Yep. You know, and 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 determine what they do, and then also. And this is the time where you're going to associate skills mm. to those spells, yeah. all right? Of the skills you just defined, which ones are going to be able to activate which spells? This mm. is where you're going to make those connections. Yeah. And then we're going to do what you should never, ever do when it comes to the foundry, at least, if nothing else, is that we are going to encourage you to beg, borrow, and steal. Um, now, when we say that, we obviously don't mean, you know, steal ideas and, and put it up, up on the foundry and, uh, you know, make your money that way. Uh, that's A, not fair, and B, it's eh, not necessarily legal. Uh, so, you know, keep those those ideas or if you need to refer to other ideas, make sure that if you're creating any sort of a document um, that you that you obviously give credit where credit's due. But what we mean by big borrow and steal is that there's obviously going to be a lot of stuff which is out there that uh, whether it be uh, official stuff from FFG or whether it be somebody else's supplement, you know, whether that be Keith Kappel's uh, Ready Fight or, or something from, from Scott Zumwalt, that 
you know, a lot of these things are going to be tried and, and tested, in particular the stuff that is obviously from FFG. That stuff has, uh, it's gone through rigorous playtestings. Um, and, you know, th- this is something which which is really, really important. And it's probably the most important part of step three because you don't want to reinvent the wheel. Because if you're reinventing the wheel, you're wasting valuable time. And it's probably better that you just go, this is how this works and, and list that there. Um, when you're doing a home system that you're not going to be publishing on the foundry, obviously you can be a little bit more lucid with this. But uh, when it comes to this, you have to make sure that you are, um, you know, you're doing the right thing. Um, now, as I said, this is really, really important. And, you know, it, it's one that we'll come back to heavily in both steps four and five when we start talking about detailing the spells and detailing the talents. Um, as I said, you know, the existing mechanics for, for magic, they've already been tested and well balanced. And, uh, you know, when it comes to developing your own, a reskin means exactly that. You know, it, it's perfectly okay to file off the serial numbers and rename or modify an existing spell or, or magic talent. Uh, in fact, when it comes to designing your own setting, it's probably going to be more preferable. Uh, because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You you don't have to go, you know, and, and do everything all over again because it's already been done. But there are other reasons as well. Everybody who is going to be at your gaming table is going to have a copy of the core rules. Or if they haven't, they've got a PDF or something like that. You want to make as fewer changes to the system as you possibly can so that everyone is going to be familiar with your setting. Otherwise, you're going to have different levels of understanding of, of how things are going to work, and that's going to generate a little bit of frustration at your table. You don't want that. You want to make it so that it really is just using what already exists in a different sort of format that you can quickly explain to people. Um, and especially when you're looking at a uh, something that you'd be putting up on the foundry, it goes down word count. You know, if you want to be rewriting everything, you're going to be spending pages and pages and pages on explaining that so that people are going to be playing your setting. And it goes down to, you know, too long, did not read. And we've spoken about that as well um, in, a, in a previous episode. Make things simple, but different, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything you just said, Huli. And mm. then, plus, you've got an existing talent or ability it's already been play tested it's already been balanced mm. when, it, when you know don't be afraid beg borrow steal it's okay it's <laughs> okay do it okay mm. and the last thing for for step three after you've divided up your effects into spells and talents after you've 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 categorized your spell worthy effects into specific spell names mm. Um, and you've you've begged, borrowed, and stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of small. It's a small step, but it's a fun one, an important one. <laughs> Come up with a better name than spells. <laughs> um, yes. This isn't magic. It's a reskin of magic. So mm. we should not be calling these two strain-costing actions spells, which mm. we've been doing in this episode because we've been trying to keep things generic. Yep. But, you know, 
what 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 should they be called in your system? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you you, you could, uh, and this is something that we'll touch base on very quickly. But you know, you've got you could call them powers, you can call them manifestations, you could you could call them chance if you wanted to go crazy. Um, uh, you know, chance chance. Uh, there, there's there's a number of fantasy set systems out there or fantasy settings, right? Um, that that deal with a very old magical concept of true naming. Are you familiar with this? I am. Yeah, absolutely. Or the idea that that you know magicians speak the true names of things, right? Yes. Um, and I was reading online somebody was doing a was doing a conversion and they were they were rescaling the magic system to a true name and instead of calling them powers or spells they called them chants, mm. uh, which I thought was deliciously wonderful. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what uh, Guam. Um, what he chose for his was it rituals or something like that for um, yeah. uh, for Inquisition? Um, I, I think he may have just called it spells. I would have to relook. But rituals is another great great thing. It's a ritual. It's an invocation. Yeah. It's a, you know, there's there's all these these great these great thing uh, mysteries. It's a you know you you, you manifest a mystery. <laughs> yeah, that's um, cool. <laughs> you know, but th- that's the point is flex those creative muscles and come up with a good label to replace spells. Mm. Okay. You, you know, they're not spells, so don't call them spells. Mm. Um, One thing that I will <laughs> touch base on, though, uh, especially when it comes to powers, and uh, this is just coming from experience by by looking at some of uh, the stuff that I'm working on with, with my super setting, is that you've got to be really careful when it comes to naming conventions. And it's something that, especially if you, you look at some game systems, that they call... And unfortunately, I'm going to have to call out Genesis here. For example, it's got actions with a little A and actions with a big A. Ah, uh, yeah. That yeah. you've got to be careful with whatever word choice you're going to use. Because if you start calling them powers, and then suddenly you're going to have talents that are also going to be powers, and then you might be giving them something at the start of character generation, which is going to be a power. And you start going, oh, you've really got to, as you've sort of said, Chris, you've got to really, you know, flex those creative muscles and come up with with a good label to replace that word of spells. But you've got to make sure that you're not going to be tripping over other similar naming conventions of of other things within the system and your setting as well. Uh, yeah, very well said. Mm. Very well said. So okay, let's let's apply this third step to our our own reskin of mutations. <laughs> Back in step one, we we had a remind me what we, we identified several key effects that we wanted to see from our mutation powers. Right? Yeah, so we had attacking, so causing damage without using weapons. So you know that's going to be maybe with psychic powers or something physical, but still kind of weird. Like, as you've sort of mentioned, you know, acidic vomit. Uh, we'll go back to uh, what seems to be our favourite, which is porcupine-like spikes coming out of <laughs> orifices or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, blasts of radiation and things like that. We then talked about telekinesis, so that's moving things with your mind. Uh, improved durability or defence, uh, you know, to, to make yourself more hardened or, or harder to hit. Um, improved physical or mental abilities, you know, like super strength or super intelligence. Um, the thing I mentioned was, was super fast healing. Um, so you like your regeneration type thing. Um, so, uh, also survivability in strange circumstances. So, you know, like your, 
uh, your um, uh, amphibious nature or you've uh, got some sort of ability to be able to move through radiation and things like that. So that's all the mutations we talked about. Okay, so those are the effects. So mm. then let's let's apply step three, which you know the first part was determined from your concept mm. how these effects break out into talents and spells. Now, the easiest way to do this, guys, is to skim away the ones that you think immediately could be applied to talents. Mm. You don't got to build the talents right now. Just categorize the effects in that appropriate bucket. Holy, are there any are there any of these effects that just scream talent? Instead of spell, look. I think for for me, the the super fast healing is something that is is clearly some sort of a talent, and uh, you know it even screams a tiered talent. So you might have super fast healing as as a tier one ability, um, but as you can heal more, you might have it at a tier two, tier three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's uh, that's kind of how I'd be looking at super fast healing because you know it, it seems to be. You know, yes, you've got healing as as uh, as a spell in, in Genesis, but you know, it is not something that with regeneration, it's not something I'm going to place my hands on myself and suddenly I'm going to be you know getting wounds back. It's something which is innate and and it's just an automatic thing. So I think that a talent would be more appropriate. Well, no, you hit the nail on the head there, and 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 the key thing is whether whether it's lay on hands which obviously it just doesn't very much fit into the theme of post-apocalyptic mutation. No, no. Even if it's something like, okay, well, no, I'm just healing myself and I'm concentrating and my wounds knit, that is not something that is in the realm either, mostly because no, nobody in, in a post-apocalyptic setting when it's mutations, nobody has to ever have to concentrate and make a skill check. They'll fail to do that, mm. okay? They, they just heal. Mm. It's a past. It's a passive thing. Yep. They don't have to make a skill check or f- it, they can't, they can't fail it. Does mm. that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the so, other yeah, th- it's yeah. a good choice. Yeah. And look, the other thing as well, and is with super fast healing, you have to spend strain on it. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't make sense. No, no, no. Um, so, um, Maybe maybe you do if the talent demands it, but mm. you may be strained for wounds. But but yep. we can we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yep. Um, now the other thing the other thing I thought might be worthwhile for talents. Now the thing is though I also see this for spells mm-hmm. for, for, for for as a spell. So it might be one of those things that we have dual duty where you know you have some effects of it that are handled in a spell format and others that are handled in talent formats. Mm-hmm. And that's the the last one, that's survivability in strange circumstances. Mm. Um, I, I think some of those things could be well done as talents. Mm. Um, you, know, you, you talk about being able to be somewhat immune to radiation. Mm. Okay. Um, that screams talent to me because it's yeah. passive ability. Yeah. Um, be, being amphibious is another. Mm. Just a thought. Mm. No, makes total sense. But at the same time, I, I like the idea of what, what is it we said earlier? On the fly adaptation. Yep. Yep. That's a really cool spell. That's mm. a really cool power. Yep. Okay. Mm. Um, so I, I'd like to at least leave room for us to bring that back in. Mm. Now, all the rest attacking, telekinesis, improved durability, defense, improved physical, mental abilities, mm. some levels of survivability in strange circumstances. These, these all seem, I think these are good candidates to be broken up into spells. Yes. Yeah. The, I guess the next step in this process is to go at a high level, categorize your spell-worthy effects 
into specific spell names. So, you know, if we're looking at a spell from from Genesis, we're, we're looking at, okay, there are all of the effects. So we would be listing all of the effects that we can think up of and then placing those in specific different spells. Yeah. And so, so let's let's do that because I, I think, based on the effects that we've 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 lined out and, and not reserved for talents, I think there's some obvious winners here. Mm-hmm. The first one that comes to mind for me is is barrier. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now I, I want I want to reskin it and I want to give it a I want to give it a, a mutation unique name, mm-hmm. um, at least temporarily. I think we could go with like I'm thinking like I, I've and by the way, guys, here, here here's a here's a BS designer tip. <laughs> Go, go to thesaurus.com. Um, it will not be and, the first time and, I've been there. <laughs> and, and, and you'll come up with some great, wonderful um, uh, pseudonyms. Mm. Um, uh, but so having a having a, a spell called, again, spell in parentheses, in, in quotation marks, because we haven't really labeled it yet, but mm. having a spell called block which would essentially yeah. be very similar to Barrier, if not a direct reskin, mm-hmm. would, would be all about improved durability and improved defense. Yep, yep. What, what skills of our three skills do you think would be able to key into block, into, into a barrier? Well, look, when we're, we're talking about a barrier, we're, we're talking about that, you know, manifesting something that is within ourselves. So, you know, metabolics definitely fits in there. Hardening your yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you were looking at, um, uh, you know, I know that I keep going back to, to supers and I'm trying to keep us in our, <laughs> in our, uh, our post apocalyptic setting, but, you know, uh, you've got the likes of Invisible Woman where she uses psionics to create this sort of shield, um, to, uh, to block out, you know, attacks and, and stuff like that. Oh, no, that's a, that's a classic, classic use of psionics. Mm. So oh, I'm thinking psionics would probably be the other one. As far as block with, um, uh, you know, stuff that you're enhancing on the fly, uh, where you're using that, that you know, your, your innate cunningness, I guess, that doesn't really sort of uh, sit with me. So I, I don't think that eberatics would really work with, with, this, uh, with this ability. Well, okay, it could, but I don't necessarily know if it should. Yeah, and and there's a there's a balancey reason for that that I think we'll come to. Mm. So, okay, so we have block, which mm-hmm. is improved durability and our defense. Yep. What else? So we've got um, one of my favorites, uh, which gets used at the table a lot, and that's all bent. The ability to be able to, to to improve your physical or mental abilities. So to give yourself that uh, that green die. Um, so it's going to be something similar to to augment, I guess. So I guess you're you're really enhancing your abilities. So you know, could we call it enhance? That makes sense. In fact, we even use that terminology very specifically when we were talking about the metabolic skill. That's what mm. the metabolic skill is, yeah. right? Yeah. It's about, it's about enhancing yourself, mm. um, your your natural abilities. So I would definitely want to include metabolics as a skill for this. Yep. Um. It's not really psionic, so I, I don't think that that even, sort of fits in there. No, 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 not even remotely. But I guess um, could it be also for for aberrantics? Oh, I guess you could be, you know, enhancing yourself on the fly. But maybe not, I don't know. No, that's not 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 based on how we defined it. Mm, true. Um, 
I mean, I mean, it certainly could, but we defined it very much that like metabolics is about enhancing your existing physical capabilities, true, okay, true. Yep. or mental capabilities. So I'm fine leaving this as solely available to metabolics. Okay, I, I am. I love this kind of symmetry. Mm. Um, I, I love having a quote unquote spell that is only at least just one that is for each skill that, that you know what, you're good with this. You're the only one that can do this particular yeah. spell. It, it certainly makes you have some unique abilities that, that you can show off rather than being, you know, that everybody else um, gets as well. So, uh, so yeah, it, it kind of works in that as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. hmm. Absolutely. So what about attack? It's always the fan favorite. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, if I was to relabel it and and, and reskin it, um, I've I've used this one in a, two settings now. Um, yeah. I've I've reskinned attack to be called strike. Right. Uh, uh, it's just it's a great word. Everyone understands exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's strike. It, mm-hmm. It's an attack action basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I were to put skills on it, um, based on the examples that we've already talked through, Huli, psionics, mm-hmm. uh, um, duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 um, and aberrantics. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's certainly that aberrant ability to, you know, I mean, you, again, your body does not naturally have some type of of non weapon based attack, mm. and I'm I'm not talking about unarmed strikes. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, that that's what it would apply to me. Yeah. Now you could make a case for metabolics, but again, I. I like the symmetry and, and furthermore, I think what I would honestly do with enhance Mm. and we'll get into this in step four next episode that we do this, (laughs) but, uh, for enhance, I would have a additional effect that wouldn't give you an attack. It would basically juice your natural attack up. Right. Yep. Like, like heavily. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right, so from there, I mean, they're, they're the obvious ones. What else uh, uh, have we got from there? I mean, could we look at perhaps um, your telekinesis spell that people could go back and, and listen to one of our other episodes uh, in relation to? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so so far, we've come up with three spells that are basically, we're basically reskinning, yeah. re- filing a serial number self-existing. Let's, if we create something new, hmm. um, I think... I think considering the fact that I, I love this idea of having a power that is only available to a skill and that each skill has at least one power that only it can access. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to pick something that would be psionic exclusive, it would definitely be telekinesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, and, and furthermore, back in episode eight, when we were talking about creating a new magic spell, mm-hmm. we actually created telekinesis on the air. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we could just flat out reuse it mm. um, and make it a psionics-based skill completely. Yep, absolutely. And as from a marketing um, perspective, it means that everybody can go back and listen to the other episode. So. <laughs> there it is. Now, additionally, I, I want to get, get very setting-specific here. And this is something else that I encourage you to do with your reskins. Because if you're reskinning, it should be to accommodate a very specific setting. Hmm. I would really like to have it, our, our next, maybe even our next one or two spells to be something that would never make sense outside of the setting, that are going to be really unique to the setting. Yeah. And so I want to make one entirely new out of whole cloth. And again, we're not going to detail it out right now. That's mm-hmm. going to be step four. Yeah. But just at a high level, I want it to be unique to post-apocalyptic. 
I want it, you know, we, we talk about the idea of having mutations that increase your survivability in unusual circumstances. Mm-hmm. I said I wanted to set aside some spell actions for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, these, these, what did you say? On the fly adaptations? Yep. Was that it? Yep. Yep. Um, and so I want to create a spell for that. And, and I, I think, I'm, I mean, just temporarily, I'll, I'll call it very fitting thematically, I'll call it survive. Mm. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and it can be, it can be, we'll, we'll talk about in step four what that means, but, but that's the idea. Yeah. That idea of this spell represents yep. the ability from your mutation standpoint to adapt yourself on the fly. Mm. And, mm. and maybe that can be something that's totally aberrant. It could potentially be something that's just an enhancement of what you already can do. Mm. Which kind of says that, um, you know, the, the aberrantics and metabolics is what we would be using. It's certainly yeah. not something I think that really based on what we're talking about to how we've defined psionics, I don't think that it fits that. Um, no. because it, it, it's not about adapting to the, to the setting itself. Um, it's just something that, you know, you do other things with. Uh, so, yeah, apparatus and metabolics is what I would suggest um, for the skills. Um, now, just very quickly going back, because I, I just realized we, we missed that, but for telekinesis, I think it's mm-hmm. a no-brainer. It's just psionics, right? Yeah, like I said, just psionics. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, uh, absolutely. Now, now this this presents an interesting quandary. And keep in mind when you're when you're defining this step three, you want to be going back to step two, step three, step two, looking at your skills, refining. Yep. If you look at what we've built so far, we've got five spells. Mm-hmm. We've got block, which uses psionics and metabolics. Mm-hmm. We've got enhance, which uses metabolics. We've got strike that uses psionics and aberrantics. Mm-hmm. We've got survive, which uses aberrantics and metabolics. And we've got telekinesis, which uses psionics. Mm-hmm. In other words, we've got five spells. Psionics can be used for three of them, mm-hmm. and psionics gets its own in telekinesis. Yep. We have metabolics that can be used for three of them, mm-hmm. and in enhance, it gets its own. Right. Aberrantics, mm. so far, has only been used in two. It's been used in strike, and it's been used in survive. Right. We need a third one for aberrantics, and furthermore, it needs to be one that's exclusive mm. to aberrantics. If we if we want to keep that that balance going, yeah, yeah, I think you kind of said the word before that I'm thinking of that yeah. would would suit this ability, and I just think weird because <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned weird before, and I I think that that's sort of it's kind of it's a bit of a catch all for everything that's gonna be a little bit odd, and uh, yeah, so I'm thinking weird. What do you reckon? It's like the utility spell. Yeah, it's like it's it's unique to aberrantics. When and we'll we'll flesh this out in step four. It'll probably be max of one purple difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know, no structured encounter use. But yeah, it's like look for aberrantics. You can you can manifest a weird power, mm. and it, just this host of infinitesimal small beneficial mutations that are just weird and strange. You know, I, I you know, my, I have bio, my, my, my skin bioluminesces. Okay. So we have a light source. Um, you know, I grow a third eye stalk so I can see over this cover w- while still retaining full cover. Uh, you know, random crap like that. Yeah. I need to start uh, a fire and we don't have any, um, and we don't have any matches. Um, I'll, yes, I'll, I'll use exactly. my snot. Or <laughs> 
yeah. or something yeah. strange like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, a hog and it sets the fire, right? <laughs> like th- this is, I think, aberrantics is is a is a hilariously fun choice. Mm. Um, that's also quite fitting for the setting. Yeah, and I, 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 I love this. I actually, I actually did this with. Um, uh, to a large degree with Harry Potter and then to a smaller degree with Aegis mm. where in Aegis, we also had six powers and, uh, three skills associated with it where we had this, this three and one for every single one. So every yep. skill could access three of the powers and could was, ex- it had one that was, it's exclusive, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I really like that balance. It makes things a little more when you've got a party that could potentially be taking multiple skills mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. It makes things it makes things very balanced. It makes things very fun for the XP spread at the table. Yeah, absolutely. And you certainly avoid what uh, a common complaint is when you're looking at uh, Arcana that uh, you know it, it has more spells uh, that it has access to than Primal and uh, and Divine. So I mean, it's only by one, but still, you know, it's a, it's it's something that sort of well, why can't we have it balanced? So in this case, we have balanced it up. Uh, which uh, which is really really cool. I like it, and it matches yes. so well to our setting. I love it. So the last step in this process is we got to come up with a better name than Scott. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we need to get too creative here? I guess. Um, I mean, we could call them powers. We could call them mutations. I'm fine with powers. It makes powers? sense. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. So yeah. yeah. Wait, so so. Okay, so we have defined so far. Um, so we've decided it's going to be powers. We have we have broken those out into six specific powers that at a very high level we know what they they can do. We have three mutation based skills or mutation focused skills that are also associated with those powers. Mm. So, Huli, we're we're like halfway there mm. at this point. Yeah. Um, but the next steps are honestly some of the some of the most critical because up until this point as a part of this process we've very much kept things very high level and generic but now that we have that generic detail developed Hmm. we have a general idea of how our reskin will work the next two steps are perhaps the most critical step four being to detail your spells Mm -hmm. and step five being to detail your talents now those are then followed by two additional steps, the all-important finishing touches. The first is step six, determining your penalties um, and, and your threat despair results. Mm-hmm. And then step seven, determine your implements and equipment. Yep. And we will continue with these steps and the creation of our mutation powers mechanics mm. in a future episode. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, look, um, if you are looking for what we've done so far, hold off because we're going to wait until we've finished all of uh, the abilities before we put these up. Um, Although we might sort of do what we've done so far and then add to it as a combined document. We'll see how that goes. But in either case, well, in either, yeah. So, but, um, but in either case, you can download. Uh, all of these uh, these abilities uh, of of how we're going to set this up um, in a bit of a step by step process, so that you can uh, start developing your own uh, your own system of reskinning of spells uh, for your setting, whatever that might be. 
<laughs> and, to let you, and to let you guys know, we plan on having two more episodes devoted to this magic and the reskin. Yeah. Um, in our in our our, our, our next episode, well, our, our very next episode is actually going to be devoted to the expanded players guide review. Yeah. But 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 after that, we should we will be returning to this, or we will tackle step four and five. It's going to be another lengthy discussion. Mm. Now that we know what our spells are and we know the skills that key to them, we really need to define out how those spells are going to work and what the additional effects are for each one. Yeah. Um, then we're going to go through a little bit of talent creation and mm. we're going to talk about the best way to develop and reskin talents for the abilities we've defined as well mm. and how you can do it for your own reskins. Yeah. And then we are also in that next episode going to, it's, it'll be a short conversation, talk about penalties and threat despair results. Yeah. And then our third and final episode on demystifying the mystical, um, or not our third, it'll be our fifth, I guess at that point. <laughs> um, uh, we'll be specifically talking about implements and equipment, mm. um, not mm. only how they function, but how you can make them and how you can also reskin them if you decide to use them at all mm. for your reskin system. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, I'm really enjoying this this series. I hope our listeners are as well. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm very eager to get mutations finished. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and certainly our, our downloads are showing that uh, people are enjoying these episodes. So uh, they are some of our uh, most popular uh, so, uh, yeah, look, if you've got any feedback in relation to what we're doing in these episodes, um, and if you, you have some questions about what we've done so far, let us know. Uh, and uh, we can sort of try to either mingle them into what we're actually discussing, um, or we may even be able to, uh, to put it into um, our, uh, our Under the Hammer, uh, where we can actually answer questions about what we've created ourselves. So, yeah. Holy, I have some questions. You do, but they're not about this. Oh, yeah, they're they're about a really cool product that that I would really like to discuss with its author, uh, Josh Taylor. Mm, I can't wait for that. That's a, that's it's an amazing supplement, uh, and we're going to discuss that with Joshua in Breaking the Mold. Breaking the Mold. The Genesis Foundry is an exciting community of fan-created content for Genesis. New settings, new rules options, adventure and campaign modules, and much, much more. But some creators go above and beyond subverting our expectations and breaking the mold with their work. Our Breaking the Mold segment is dedicated to showcasing an exciting offering available right now in the Genesis Foundry as we separate the pure alloy from the slag and point you to the best content out there. Indeed. Now, tonight's guest is a newcomer to the Genesis Foundry, but uh, already cut his teeth as a module writer for Texas Chapter of the Dystopia Rising LARP and was one of the reviewers for Keith Campbell's brilliant Ready Fight. Uh, now, over the past year, he's become a much-loved fixture in the Genesis community, um, answering a whole heap of questions um, and uh, really sort of involving himself, which has been fantastic, uh, and certainly becoming a, a pillar of our Genesis uh, fan and developer groups. Uh, well known for his key questions and passionate spirit, and that passion has come forth in his product, his first product for the Genesis Foundry, Critical Elements, a critical injury supplement, which has garnered much praise from both GMs and players. Tonight, The Forge is happy to welcome to our show for the first time, Joshua Taylor. Josh, welcome to The Forge. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> oh, man. So, Josh, you know, dude, I, I met you for the first time just under a year ago when you showed up completely out of the blue, um, from my perspective, uh, at Gamer Nation Con, um, which was awesome. <laughs> 
it was definitely completely out of the blue. Uh, I actually learned about it from uh, listening to the the Dice Bowl podcast and uh, happened to get to those episodes where they were discussing it. And I'm like, oh, well, that would have been cool. Oh, well, actually, that's happening right now. Well, I guess I'll go do that then. <laughs> Hey, you you showed up like a like a like a lost kitten with your eyes all big, and uh, uh, we 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 hopefully showed you a good time. Um, oh, absolutely! It's been one of uh, it was probably the best con experience I've had, which I tell everybody. So that's awesome. Good. I'm you're you're coming you're coming this year, right? Oh, absolutely! Uh, this time I'm coming prepared. So. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. So I got to know you a little bit at the con, but you know, for for our listeners, I mean, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself and your gaming career, man. How long have you been gaming? And uh, you know, tell us about this hobby and you. Uh, so uh, I guess first off, um, I I live in Texas, so that's why it was easy to uh, just kind of decide to go. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm living in Austin, and um, as far as gaming wise, I actually got uh, into gaming pretty late in, in career compared to most. Uh, you know, nerds like myself. Um, I actually didn't start until like the middle of middle of high school. Uh, just kind of like fell into it actually, and um, like I, I started on AD and D, of course. But uh, third edition was really where uh, that was my uh, experience in like getting to like really like hack the system as it were, create uh, homebrew stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where like all of my you know love from then on of creating my own things kind of came from. From then, uh, I, I'll play just about anything. Uh, most of my focus is definitely split between both tabletop and LARPing, though. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what my general focus has been on now. Uh, currently, uh, Genesis is clearly my new uh, my new love, and I try to push it as much as I can. Very cool. <laughs> no, I understand that love. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you get into LARPing, Josh, can I just ask? Because it's a... It, it's something that, that isn't in, in uh, where I'm from, in, in Brisbane anyway, uh, that it's not a huge thing here. But if you go into the southern states, it uh, far outpasses um, most role-playing games. So how did you get into that part of the hobby? Uh, so uh, that was actually uh, in, I guess I was in college at that point, mm-hmm. and um, I joined the Science Fiction and Fantasy Society of our, of our, uh, of our college and that was one of the things that they did was a uh, homebrew. Um, it, it was using the White Wolf uh, Laws of the Night, which is very common. Uh, what's called a parlor LARP, yep. uh, basically uh, where you don't have sticks that you hit people with. You know, you're <laughs> using like some sort of randomization mechanic. Right. That's where the rock paper scissors uh, <laughs> results came from. Right. And then so that was really where I got started. Uh, and uh, that led all the way up into late, like later in life, uh, yep. up in Dallas, uh, when I joined the actual, finally, like official. It was the first the Camarilla, and then it became the Mind's Eye Society, mm-hmm. and eventually, I actually even became the domain uh, storyteller, which is like the coordinator of storylines for all of Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I did that for many years. And then that eventually uh, led away from the parlor LARP scene a little more uh, into what's uh, what's referred to as like a, a buffer LARP or full immersion full immersion LARP, mm-hmm. and that's where Dystopia Rising is. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic zombie <laughs> game where uh, our chapter, which is you know set in Texas, has a very wild west, deep west feel. Right. That sounds really really cool. All right, so you're obviously in, into LARPs as well, but you know you've also got a, a love of, of tabletop gaming. So, 
You know, what style of game when you are uh, playing an RPG? You mentioned D&D before. That's where you got your start from. But what style of game or game setting or theme do you like to get on the table when you play? You know, what's your what's the favorite thing to play for you in Genesis? I have a passion for Star Wars in all forms, uh, in, including the prequels. I know. Bad. <laughs> but <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so like I love those kind of you know anything space opera wise um but uh high fantasy is probably where I you know kind of my general go to uh and like where I get the most um I guess most opportunity combined with like you know a love for it uh which um that that kind of goes into I think out of all of the settings that like have come out in all the different systems Eberron is probably my favorite setting that's ever that's ever you know been created, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because of its uh it was very uh, new and different at the time mm-hmm. had a lot of of innovation um, behind both its design and the stories it was trying to tell. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It's my favorite fantasy setting of all time, hands down. I had I had given up on D on D and D and quite frankly the D twenty mechanic in entire entirely and was moving on to other things. And then Eberron dropped and I got four more years of <laughs> DD out of that system um that's how powerful that system or that, that that setting is so uh yeah yeah totally understand man that's that's just fantastic uh when i actually do get to play uh genesis which uh it isn't uh, terribly often down here yet i'm still trying to you know trying try to push it more uh, but uh, I, I'm a big fan of both the magic system and the hacking systems. Mm. Uh, really, I'm a big fan of subsystems in general. There's kind of a pun there. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but so it, it, both of those appeal to me a lot. The magic system is very innovative, and I, I, I love it. Mm. And I really like what they did with, uh, with hacking in Genesis and expanded on that in uh, Shadow, Shadows of the Beanstalk over what like, would normally just be a, all right, make a hacking roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. And obviously we love the subsystems as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this, this episode and many others have been devoted to, but yeah, I, um, I'm right there with you. And so this, this is kind of interesting because when we look at how critical injuries work in Genesis, it's almost a subsystem in and of itself, but you went and actually turned it into even more comprehensive <laughs> of a subsystem. But let, let's, let's talk about that. I want to talk about your first entry into the foundry critical elements give us the pitch man like tell tell me about it i mean i mean if, if i came up to you and said josh like like i heard you wrote this thing w- what is it what would you tell me all right well so critical elements uh it's really supposed to just take a clearly a focused look on critical injuries uh in a bunch of different ways i, I kind of start off going into some discussions uh, on how critical injuries play a role in the stories, because that's really important beyond even just the mechanics. And that's kind of from both a player and a GM side. Uh, I cover some topics such as uh, letting the players narrate the injuries that they suffer, uh, because in an effort to to mitigate the adversarial nature of critical injuries from a GM, because you have to choose to, to crit, uh, it's kind of hard to get away from that adversarial feel, even if you even if you trust your GM, you know, and then in addition, kind of go into some extra like discussions, such as how the uh, injuries that you suffer are going to affect the game and the story long after the fight is over, because those things stick around and get worse and worse. Uh, so some general like tips and tricks, as well as like a suggestion on uh, how to find NPC healing for it, because there's nothing really covered. 
just specifically for that. And that was a question that was asked a bunch. Mm. I actually added that in way after the fact because of a question on the Genesis forums. So, right. but then, uh, so like, as far as like the, uh, like you mentioned, the subsystems, the meat of my like mechanical focus in there was a uh, set of critical injury like charts that are instead based on hit locations, head, arms, legs, torso. Most of the effects are going to be recognizable to everybody because they're, they're similar to the core book. I altered them a little bit and certainly you know, picked specific ones for each of the different different regions. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're also, I removed the ones that really aren't fun to roll. And that was really one of the big things that made me like want to take a look at critical elements, uh, critical injuries in general, mm-hmm. is uh, the games that I was running, sometimes a player would roll a critical injury and they're like, oh, well, that was a waste of my advantages. <laughs> and I never want to hear that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So is that within itself sort of the, the thing that drew you to, to um, you know, using crits in, in the first place? Uh, yeah, so uh, the, uh, one of the original things that I planned to, to do with this was actually a, um, an, alternate, uh, an alternate rule for taking those crits you don't like and making them something a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through playtesting, people liked the idea as to what that was supposed to represent, mm-hmm. but enjoyed rolling on my new tables and so that didn't those kind of contradicted each other so i worked with them and it's like okay well what if we did these different things instead and so those ended up as talents so Mm. yeah let's 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 talk about that then because as you say this is more than just uh, you know a new way to look at crits and new crit options you got 20 crit related talents in here Okay, <laughs> and I'm I'm curious to know because that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of new talents for a supplement of this nature. So with the talents plus this whole new critical injury methodology and, and options as well, what was the play testing like for this? Because you I imagine you had to play test the living heck out of this. I mean, what did that what did that process look like, and what did you learn from it? Uh, so I uh, spent uh, I think three months of like active play testing. Where like uh, I uh, I would run stuff with it as well as I had I had other playtesting uh, like groups uh, groups helping me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were there were three months of actual people putting it on tables um, and giving their feedback from it, which is where a lot of that stuff came back from um, them them liking the concept of the uh, getting rid of the kind of crits they didn't like, but then. They really liked rolling more, so um, <laughs> that kind of uh, you know uh, that kind of led into taking the things that they did like about that and instead worked them into some talents later. Mm-hmm. So after the, the three months of active playtesting, though, I spent a prob- another three four months of kind of doing my second draft and then getting a. Uh, kind of peer content review from uh, from various people I'd met. Uh, uh, Keith helped out a lot there, um, as well as uh, as some others that I, I credit in the book as uh, as my peer reviewers. Mm-hmm. And they all you know kind of you know, took a deep dive and kind of lo- looking at like what made those mechanics successful or not. Was it too powerful? Was it not? And that's kind of where we where we got to where we are. Mm. <laughs> Because you've really, really, uh, you know, presented it perfectly, in my opinion. It's uh, it's nicely laid out. The rules are very easy to understand. Um, it, it's the talents have clearly been play tested for the most part, which is which is something that that I think in 
everybody when they when they're bringing you content they need to step through that process um so it's good to see that you've obviously followed those things and you know and hat off to Keith Keppel um he's uh, he is a really big member of the community who does like to help out new authors as well so uh, so that's good to see as well so we've talked a lot about what's sort of in it briefly can you can you give us an example of something exciting or unique that's in critical elements that may not necessarily appear anywhere else or that is is really going to whet the appetite to, of people who may not necessarily know about this particular product? Um, so I, I guess uh, for something that's not anywhere else yet, uh, a couple of the talents are um, kind of based on uh, some things that uh, playtesters and groups in general have kind of been asking for, which is better ways to um, mitigate a critical injury after the fact, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I I could cover that through um, some, uh, a a pair of medical talents that lets you use painkillers in ways to temporarily relieve critical injuries. Mm -hmm. And then um, also introducing a, a talent that adds uh, regeneration to the heal spell. So that you can regrow a lost limb or lost body part of some kind. Because mm. uh, currently, um, the normal the normal magic system has a thing where you can heal a critical injury, mm-hmm. but that just removes the negative the negative effects of whatever I guess the negative mechanical effects yep. doesn't specifically doesn't regrow lost limbs. Mm. So right, we we did a whole uh, segment last episode on the medicine skill, um, and you know we we try very hard in those segments to keep things to the core rules you know or the rule the the, the published ffg rule books mm. but i so badly wanted to bring up uh your supplement um because critical elements again and we talked about some of the interesting way things you can do uh some some homebrew or house rules or in this case foundry content that really goes a long way to enhancing the medicine skill in some very fun ways. Hmm. So hats off to you on that, man, because it, it's more than just crits. You enhanced medicine and doctoring as a whole in the system through these talents. And as Huli said, when you read them and, and you, you're like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. It's not, it's not OP. It's clearly been playtested well. And so it's one of those things that you feel very comfortable immediately adding to your table and to your game. Hmm. And I also love the fact that there's, they're, system, they're a setting generic as well which is also another wonderful thing. I love it we get a supplement that can af- apply to any setting. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely uh, a, a goal from the start is cuz you know criticals are you know just as uh, just as fun and important in you know a fantasy as they are uh, shooting someone with a you know a blaster bolt. There are definitely <laughs> some of the 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 naming conventions that lend themselves uh, one way or the other, but uh, I I think that just kind of comes to a little bit of flavor. So mm, Absolutely. <laughs> Because certainly when it comes to uh, looking at any sort of, of crits, it, it is sort of in the game, I know with games that I've run, you, you've really got to be a little bit almost, uh, you know, overdramatic about it because otherwise it just turns into you roll on a table, an effect happens, and then it's sort of, other than the immediate effects, it's kind of forgotten in the mix of everything that's going along. Um, until such time as it comes to, to healing them. So, um, you know, bringing them into, into the fore um, was an excellent idea, and it's, uh, as a result, it, it's created a fantastic product uh, that I think that everybody should, um, should go out and get ASAP, if you haven't already. Joshua, what's next for you and the Foundry? So I've got two things that are, you know, that are currently in the works right now. Uh, 
one of them is a uh, a regional setting uh, for for Terranoth, uh, specifically taking one of the small island nations uh, and kind of going into kind of a, a deeper look at it, which uh, and then including a a new racial archetype uh, that's going to have uh, giant's blood. Oh, so it's going cool. to be specifically a silhouette uh, a silhouette two creature. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, the big thing that I've been working on and that uh, is nowhere near done at this point uh, is uh, a complete setting uh, for a genre that doesn't really have much out there for it. Uh, there's some similar things, but uh, I'm currently referring to it as Cyber Mage right. um, because it's not quite cyber fantasy. Like it's not Shadowrun. Right. But, and my, my current working title is Legacy of Tomorrow. The general concept is that magic uh, has been reawakened in this cyberpunk-style future by mm. the dis- or discovery of Atlantis. Right. I actually did like a large – before I started working on this, I did a large kind of focus survey looking for what people wanted to play because I was just going to run a game. And so I was curious as what people would want to play. And uh, I wanted to focus on the magic system because I like magic. Yep. And this is kind of what came from it. Uh, like they, uh, a lot of people wanted future and magic, but they didn't want fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so Shadowrun was out. And so that's kind of where, where this kind of fell in. And then they added in that they also wanted magic to be regulated by the government, which I'm always <laughs> for. The Psychor is my favorite part of Babylon 5. So. <laughs> love it. So it's, that sounds exciting, and it's certainly a, a, a setting that I'd love to play in. So unfortunately, the commute's a little bit of a problem if you're uh, doing it over the table. Um, for me, <laughs> anyway. Believe me, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a setting that I'm, I'm looking forward to, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited too. I love, we, we, what do you call it, uh, uh, F- fantasy punk. I've heard some people call it fantasy punk. Yep. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people just say Shadowrun because that was the really the, but it's not quite Shadowrun. It's you know, it's just magic in the future. And honestly, man, with your with your love of the two subsystems, it sounds like uh, you'd be pouring all your heart and soul into it. So, I would love to see that as well. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's definitely. Uh, I, I've currently had a, a broken a broken foot for the last uh, month and a half now, and so I've had a lot a lot of time to. To, to work on uh, Technomagic, which is what I've been working on wow. lately. So That sounds cool. Uh, very cool. Dude. Well, Josh, I can't wait to see all of it. And, and thank you for taking the time and the effort to bring such a handy, useful, versatile, and clearly very well-designed and, more importantly, well-play-tested supplement hmm. to the Foundry. Um, it's just wonderful to see. So thank you, and I can't wait to see what else you're going to bring us, brother. Um, it was fantastic talking to you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I, I appreciate your, you know, uh, your, your compliments there. Uh, and uh, I, I can't wait to see you all at Gamer Nation Con again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all that long away either, just very quietly. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Three months, that's it. I know, right. Good Lord. I've been, I've been waiting nine, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you haven't uh, already, as I said before, go out and uh, take a look at Critical Elements. Um, it's available right now on DriveThruRPG under the Genesis Foundry. So go and take a look at that right now. Um, so, uh, Chris, I think it might be time to take um, a few questions from our listeners. What do you think? 
I think it's a wonderful idea. (laughs) And we're going to do that under the hammer. Under the hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we will answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis role-playing game as it impacts both rules and content creation and, of course, play. Now, uh, quite a few questions this week with a couple coming from our Patreon supporters, uh, which is awesome. To those guys and gals, you know, they get their questions prioritised uh, because they are Patreon members. Um, so if you'd like to beat the queue, visit us um, at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis and become a supporter today. But never fear, we will get to your questions in time. Now, Chris, we've got a couple of very interesting questions tonight uh, from a bit of a broad spectrum of, of, uh, of topics. So would you like to read the first one out tonight? Absolutely. First up is a question from Kyle Sharp via email. Mm. Um, and who leads? This one is clearly for you. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle said the following. He says, good morning. Is there anything explicitly against placing more ice behind a great wall? <laughs> the raw states the following for the, for, for the barrier ice. If a character attempts to break this ice and fails and they are unable to access the subsystem that this ice protects, uh, there are no further effects. It goes further to say that it can only protect three subsystems. Does this suggest that a Great Wall can only have three subsystems behind it and nothing else? What about in the example of a server on PG-127? It shows that the secret lab A-08B self-destruct subsystem is protected (laughs) by a firewall and a Janus 1.0 in that order. Mm. This suggests one of two things. Either the example is wrong and therefore the ice is in the wrong order or the definition of subsystem in the effect of a barrier, ice is defined very loosely as compared to its definition on page 128. Mm. Much like the confusion around the usage of the word active as it pertains to how many programs one can have on a rig at any given time. Mm. Which one makes more sense? I believe it would make a little difference in being able to stack ice behind a great wall within reason. I'm not about to start nesting great walls behind great walls behind great walls. <laughs> I'm just curious how it would be handled to add another piece of ice or two before the actual subsystem. Game on. Yeah, <laughs> Huli, th- that question is definitely for you. <laughs> All right, so let's get this underway. So in episode eight, uh, we discussed the process of a network encounter, uh, what makes up a subsystem, and what is needed to access a system and, uh, you know, it's various subsystems. And, um, you know, you can go into uh, our Under the Hammer segment uh, where we were asked about uh, specifically how that process works. And I went through a bit of an explanation as to, you know, how you do a network uh, run through a system. So, um, yeah, go and take a listen to that. If you've already listened to it, please continue on. Um, so, uh, you know, we will do an entire episode on designing network encounters, you know, later on in the year, we hope. Uh, but to answer your question specifically, um, yes, a Great Wall Barrier Ice can only protect three subsystems. The example listed on page 127 is correct, uh, as in the, the flowchart of how the system works, but it could do with some more explanation, and I'll get onto that in a bit. Now, the, the more wa- long-winded answer, I guess, is that on page 133, the last line of Great Wall, it says it all. It says it can only protect three subsystems. Now, what the rules don't say is how those subsystems are constructed. 
for example, a system um, may just be three subsystems underneath it that is protected by the by the uh, the ice. But technically, you could have three subsystems one after the other down the page. Now that would be a really really protected system, and you'd have to be doing it with a group of runners. Um, so to use that as an example, um, you know, a system may have all the security cameras for a facility protected by a great wall barrier ice. But below that um, might be a subsystem dedicated to the cameras for a hidden floor that controls uh, the cameras in the secret laboratory. Uh, And then below that, there might be a a system that is again protected by another piece of ice uh, that has uh, the cameras to a single room where, you know, the the project's mysterious subject, i.e. Weapon X or something similar, um, may be being held. You know, the the subsystems in this example, you know, are going to be security cameras, hidden floor security cameras, and secret room security camera. In other words, three subsystems. Each of these rooms, including the first, can be protected by some ice. And as I said, that would be an extremely hard run. Now, I think this might get to the core of your question. Can you stack ice like a Great Wall uh, to have an endless number of subsystems? Because as it says, you know, it's limited to um, three subsystems in depth um, or it's limited to protecting three subsystems, which is kind of the the same sort of thing, really. Um, The short answer is yes, you can, but we wouldn't recommend it because the, the system... Uh, as in the game system itself, the the mechanics of um, of uh, running uh, appears to be designed with the ideas of no more than these three subsystems. Additionally, uh, I would recommend that the same ice shouldn't stack. So what that means is that you know your your great wall after great wall after great wall is not going to constantly reset itself because of its limitation of three. It's limited to three because of the way that it, it is, and it's also for for balance effects for the game. So yeah, no protecting uh, a system with multiple great walls. Um, and expect them to stack. So, yes, you could have three great walls, one after the other, but they aren't going to create this endless loop, for want of a better term. Now, another reason to restrict uh, a system to have no more than three subsystems is that the rules aren't very clear when talking about what happens when uh, you're doing a run and ice reactivates behind you so if you've gone through one level of ice and you're into a subsystem and then you have to go through another level of ice and you go into another subsystem that the rules say that at the end of the runner's next turn the ice that you've been through will reactivate now this is where you need another runner to basically be deactivating that because the way that the rules are sort of written it's almost as though that there's some level of an umbilical cord, for want of a better term, that tethers you to your rig. Um, uh, you know, the sidebar on page 128 indicates that, you know, once ice reactivates, the barriers are going to come up. In other words, the cord is cut. 
Does that mean then that suddenly, you know, you are sorted out of the system, that you sort of dematerialize and suddenly you're back in the real world because you've uh, your connection with that subsystem? Is it that you're dumped back in where you came in in the first place? Is it that you're dumped in on the other side of that barrier ice? Does the barrier ice know that you exist? There are some of the ices that that is out there that really goes into um, that if it knows that you're there, it does all these extra stuff. These are things that you're probably going to need to do ahead of time when you start looking at running uh, an Android setting or something that is going to have uh, that is going to use these uh, the the net as a core subsystem for you know to to say what Josh said before um, the, to your own setting. So you've got to decide these things beforehand. And I'm probably getting a little bit away from from his question, um, mm. but we'll talk about the table because this is a, this is the other thing that he he raises is that is that table right or wrong. It's sort of right. <laughs> um, and uh, the reason why it's sort of right is that uh, the table, it's a little misleading is in that how it represents ice. Now, it says in if you go into running the net, you have to go through the ice and then it remains deactivated and then you go into a subsystem. But on the table itself, it doesn't differentiate between what is a subsystem and what is an ice program. And I think that any time that it says ice, treat it like a red hexagon, for example. Um, and that is what you need to get through that. And I, I think that when you're designing these systems uh, for your campaigns or for something for the foundry, that you really need to look at that and say, uh, so that it's easy for the GM to see on the fly, especially when they're they're sort of trying to run combat and run a net running at the same time, you want it to be as easy as possible. So I think that if you can just picture in your head any time that it says ice, that it would have this red hexagon, uh, you, you're going to have a much better picture in your mind of, of how they are going to work. Um, now, as far as uh, how to visualize how that's going to happen and, and how ice actually runs, the best way to think about it is to imagine it like a lock on a door. And I know that I talked about this um, in that previous episode that, uh, that I mentioned before with episode eight. Um, uh, you know, the, so yeah, the best way to picture it is to think of it like a lock on a door, uh, where if you failed, you can't access the room. Um, of course, where it becomes a little bit difficult though, is, uh, when the lock sends a power surge through to your rig and then suddenly you're in a world of hurt, but <laughs> that, that's probably the, the best way to think about, uh, the system, uh, that to fix up table. Uh, the the table w which gives the example of the system um, and to visualize in your own mind how a system works to when you're explaining it to your players so you know change the wherever it says ice to that red hexagon and then also say that um, if somebody's trying to access those systems there's a lock on the door so yeah i hopefully that was a very long-winded answer, but hopefully that, that answers your question, Kyle. And if it doesn't, send us another uh, follow-up uh, message and I'll try to answer it as best as I can, either on the show or, uh, or via private message, and uh, we can share that with the group as well. 
Wow, that was a long-winded question. Um, oh, answer should I say? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll put the probably what I should be doing is actually putting the questions and answers uh, in our documents that um, you can download from our resource section. That might actually be a really good idea. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so lastly, we have uh, a question from, he's, a, he's actually a friend of mine and he's been on uh, the Dice Pool before, uh, and that's uh, Michael Molyneux, who posted a question on Facebook asking this medicine-related uh, question. In our last session, strangely enough it was mine, um, <laughs> a question popped up about healing and using the medicine skill. How many times can the skill be used to heal injuries? Can you use the heal spell endlessly, or does it count as the use of a painkiller? The rules seem to be a little bit hazy. Can you heal endlessly using magic? How does that work with critical injuries? Also, I wonder about the effects of hospitalization. Can the medicine skills speed your recovery rate? Thank you for answering my question. I only listen to two podcasts, and yours is at the top of my list. <laughs> Now, that's not where it quite ended, though. <laughs> there was a follow-up question from, yes, another one of my players, uh, Andrew Scott, who also asked the following question. Uh, he said, additionally to Michael's excellent question, heal spell states, because we're talking about um, spells, uh, heal spell states in the core book on page 214, healing magic can also affect targets multiple times per encounter. Given there is an effect of revive incapacitated that adds to difficulty, if successful, will this then revive the PC and also heal wounds slash strain with the success slash advantage? Well, I can answer that one first. Go yes. On. <laughs> yes. Because, because, again, the base effect of the spell, it always applies. Mm. Even if you and, – and the – in addition, you will get, if you pull it off, the additional effects. Mm. Reviving an incapacitated person is just the additional effect. Yeah, the base the base skill would still apply. Mm. So yeah, you you if if you got somebody who's completely incapacitated and you roll ten successes, if that's possible, <laughs> um, you you could not only revive them but put them really heavy back up on their feet. Yeah, yeah. it is absolutely possible. Mm. Um. Now, in regards to Michael's larger question yep. um, around the medic and how many times the skill used to be healed injuries and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I think it's worth looking at um, <clears throat> some of the actual rules as written in the book. Yep. Um, uh, specifically, um, all of this can, uh, well, almost all of it can be found on page 116, mm -hmm. um, which covers natural rest, medical care, and painkillers, which mm. are, are key aspects of some of his questions. Mm. Um, so, when we talk about the medicine skill and healing magic, we have to compare it to the control and the control is natural rest. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and the bottom line is natural rest for healing. It really sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, you heal, you heal one wound each full night of rest. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, no checks needed. You just heal that much. Mm. Um, now each full week of rest, um, allows you to attempt a resilience check to recover from one critical injury. Uh, the difficulty of the check, of course, being equal to the difficulty of the critical injury severity rating, which mm. is obviously part of the critical injury result table on page 115. Mm. Um, or directly available from the fantastic Genesis uh, GM screen. <laughs> Great. Uh, if, if, you, if you succeed on that resilience check, you recover from the crit, you're no longer affected. If you fail... 
you retain the critical injury, but you heal one wound, which mm. is really nice. Mm. And um, additionally, if you actually roll a triumph on your resilience check mm-hmm. and you succeed, you actually heal an extra critical injury, mm. um, which is also lined out in the rules. Mm. Very handy. Now, when you compare now, now that we have that 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 baseline laid, let's talk about medical care specifically. Also on page one sixteen, mm. which understanding this really answers the majority of your questions, Michael. Mm. Um, when you look at the medical care section on page one sixteen, I'll do some summarization and abbreviation here. There's some very specific rules that are clearly lined out in black and white on the page. Mm. You may only receive one medicine check each encounter. Mm. That's it. Mm. So you can't spam heal with medicine checks <laughs> in an encounter. No. <laughs> you know, now the medicine check to heal um, it is actually a, a difficulty. Uh, it, it's in a, it's in the table, table uh, I-6, uh, I.6-11 mm-hmm. on page 116. Um, and it depends, obviously, how wounded the individual is mm-hmm. um every you know if you are successful on that check as a healer um every every uncanceled success heals a wound um every uncanceled advantage heals a strain and of course as we talked about last episode if you're performing the check on yourself you bump the difficulty twice mm. increase it twice yep um now using a medicine check to heal a critical injury obviously the difficulty is equal to the critical injury severity rating mm-hmm. um that can only be performed once per week, mm. and it's it's one of those things that you know even if you if I if I go visit the doctor and he helps me heal my broken bone, he can't make my broken bones heal faster. No. <laughs> all, all you can do is say, you know what? Instead of counting on your resilience and your natural hardiness to do this, I'm going to splint you and I'm going to do it for you. Mm. Okay, it's still once per week. Yeah. Um. And and you got to have the proper medical gear to do that as well. Mm. Um. Uh, I, I think of I, Realms of Terranoth, which is the one that comes to mind. It's the apothecary kit, yep. um, but there's others in other settings. Um, and if you don't have the appropriate gear, you got to increase the difficulty again mm. by one. Yeah. So hopefully that answers that question. Mm. Um, now the other way to heal, and I don't think I don't think uh, he, he asked about uh, uh, painkillers um, in regards to the heal spell. Heal spell no does not count as a use of painkillers. Right. Um, pain. Killers are also covered on 116. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to go into them very much. You know, yep. they, we all know how painkillers work. Yeah. But magical healing itself, uh, the heal spell on page 217. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your your question, Michael, yeah, you can spam it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you totally can. But Huli, as you mentioned earlier in this very episode, you're you're going to go unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much because you're using strain, so you're 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 very you're very much going to go unconscious. Mm. Um, You know, if if the target's incapacitated, obviously, as I said before, uh, you know, yeah, you're going to heal them as well as as bring them out of incapacitation if you add that extra increased difficulty for revive incapacitated. Mm. Um, You know, healing spells is so much easier than. Using medicine, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless the character is unconscious. Mm. Mm. If the character is unconscious at that point, the difficulty actually is easier on the medicine check. Mm. You know, and and there's a few other things too. You know, as far as critical injuries, using medicine checks. You know, um, at lower 
experience levels, mm. critical injuries are harder to heal mm. than they are at high mm. experience levels, yeah. assuming the target's conscious, of course. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. Well, I mean, God, he had so many questions. What else did he ask? Uh, <laughs> you know, endlessly using magic. Holy, I think the one thing we haven't really talked about from his questions is, you know, during an encounter, obviously you can spam heal all the live long day. Yep. Outside of an encounter, mm. yeah, you can also spam heal, but then it's up to the GM to really dictate the parameters at which point you can recover your strain. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that, that we did touch base on uh, in our last episode when we were talking about medicine, um, is that it's ultimately up to whether uh, how the, the party or, or the, the table really has determined what an encounter is defined at. So if you're going from point A to point B and it's going to take a couple of days, is that going to be uh, an, an encounter like a, uh, a, a non or I guess a narrative encounter um, where you can only heal once? Or is it um, going to be multiple uh, encounters? Or do you do whatever it is that you decide, you've just got to A, be consistent all the way through, uh, and B, have acceptance at the table. When it comes to going between adventures, um, I tend to take the approach that, you know, with D&D, you're basically just going to be resting and healing and resting and healing until everybody's back up to full again. Critical injuries are a little bit different because, you know, you're having to take a week between them. Uh, so, but uh, when it comes to just healing wounds and strain, um, you know, you can get them to roll if you want or they're just going to keep on going until and that's just going to slow down the the gameplay so you know if um if they're in the middle of a dungeon and suddenly they decide right we're going to heal up everybody well as i sort of said in the last episode that it is really going to be a case that well the bad guys know that they're coming or that they may interrupt them in the middle of things and the pcs may not be prepared so you know that there are other narrative things that can happen in the background um, but during this whole process, the, the thing that, um, that I, cause I, I did a little bit of research in relation to this skill. Um, and the thing which sort of was a highlight for me, and I didn't realize this is that, um, the effect under heal, the effect of reviving capacitated, you mentioned this before, Chris, that it only allows, uh, you know, your character to affect an incapacitated ca- target. So very similar to where you've got the difficulties for levels of healing um, when you're using the medicine skill that, you know, that if it's less than half, it's one purple, if it's um, more than half, but, um, you know, uh, you're not over your wound threshold, it's two. If you're over your threshold, you're three. It does mirror that because the revive incapacitated is a plus two difficulty to the heal spell and the heal spell is only one purple. So yeah. it's kind of mirroring that. Um, uh, and as I sort of pointed out to, to somebody uh, today, and they've just gone, well, I'd certainly be doing that over two turns, um, is that if you really were desperate and you really had to, you know, um, recover somebody's uh, critical injury in one turn, you're looking at, what, five purple dice? <laughs> to do that uh, because yep. you're uh, you're healing the critical injury and you're reviving them um, if they're unconscious so yeah that that's that's something to keep in mind as well and that's actually not something that I realized um, but as I'm using spells more in in my games that I'm certainly having my eyes opened 
uh, a lot more. So uh, that was an interesting question to, to research as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Healing magic changes the entire healing dynamic of your average Genesis game. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm, Absolutely. I mean, completely. And, it, and it's not bad. You just, you just, I find it to be quite fun. It means I can throw more crap at my players. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, healing, healing magic changes the entire dynamic. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fun. You got to be prepared for it. Hmm. I, I find playing a healing magic user in Genesis to be incredibly fun. Mm. I mean, you're, it's, it's, it's so much, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I absolutely love it. But this is a it's a good question. Thank you guys for submitting your questions. We we want your questions. Send them to us. We'll talk about how to do so in just a bit. Yeah. Um, but Holy, mm. unfortunately, I I think this brings us to the end of yet another show. It does. But we will be back in just a couple of weeks for a very special episode that I just cannot wait for. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so excited. So excited. Listeners, for our next episode, we have a treat like no other as we take a deep dive into the newly released Expanded Players Guide. And we will also be announcing during that episode the winner of our recent contest, which actually is now officially over. It ended on the 7th of January. That's right, um, yeah. Where we, we, we just asked for your questions. We wanted your questions about the EPG. Mm. And uh, anyone who submitted a question is going to be put into a random lottery mm. to win a free copy of not only the Expanded Player's Guide, but also the GM screen yep. to be shipped to you anywhere on planet Earth. Indeed. Um, and yes, in this episode, we're going to be welcoming not one, but two special guests to the show. Uh, our first one is uh, it's a fan favourite and a great friend of the podcast, the RPG manager for FFG, Sam Gregor-Stewart, um, and well-known FFG freelancer and friend of the podcast, Keith Cappell. Um, on the show, we'll be asking these fine fellows the questions that everybody has submitted. Um, and, uh, you know, since the, the book's been released... Um, as well as a few of our own, uh, which is going to be really exciting. Beyond epic. (laughs) And, of course, while you wait for the release of that episode, please continue to send us uh, any other questions that you might have uh, about Genesis, about being a a GM or a player, um, or just, you know, gaming-related questions in general. Um, And um, how can they do that, Chris? Well, they can email us uh, at forgegenesis at d20radio.com or post it up via one of the many social media platforms which we lurk upon, including the Facebook, the Twitter, the YouTube, the Reddit, uh, all by searching at Forge Genesis. Mm. We've also been having some really good conversations on the D20 Radio Discord channel, mm. um, which, of course, are truly dedicated conversations. Uh, with our Patreons, our patrons <laughs> on our, on our very own podcast Discord server, which uh, is exclusively accessible to our patrons. So, yeah. yeah, indeed, and they own it's only uh, a mere donation of two dollars a month um, to join us for that. And uh, as we will be announcing as we get a little bit closer, uh, that uh, they also get a vote in the Genesis. Oh, sorry, the Forge Awards. Uh, which is going to be really exciting, and we'll we'll uh, have a lot more uh, information about that uh, in the episodes to come. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we'd love to hear from all of you, uh, and don't forget that you can also join the even larger discussion 
in the D20 Radio Facebook group where we nerds congregate to cross-pollinate. And don't forget, guys, give us a like or follow us as well on any of our social media sites. You can also drop us a review on those sites or on your favorite podcatcher, including iTunes and Spotify. You can also visit us on our website, ForgeGenesis.com. Well, that's a wrap for us, Chris. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening um, to this uh, yet again. You won't get it episode, but it's been a lot of fun, and I learn a lot from this sort of stuff as well, especially when it comes to magic, because um, Chris is a bit of a guru when it comes to, to the magic, that's for sure. Um, but um, hopefully you will join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis role-playing game. I'm GM Hooley. May your tribes be many and your despairs be few. And I'm GM Chris, wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Thanks again for joining us, and remember, The Forge Podcast, helping you hone your gaming edge. The Forge, a Genesis podcast, is a proud member of the T20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit www.t20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All the information provided on the podcast, the social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games or any of their licensors. The content of this podcast remains a property of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis role-playing game, Genesis logo, Genesis Foundry, content, and all material remain the property of Fantasy Flight Games. All products available on the Genesis Foundry website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about the Forge Genesis RPG podcast, visit www.forgegenesis.com. Thank you.